fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 52 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I'm your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon, and welcome to the first new Metallicast of 2021. Hope you all had a happy new year. On this episode, I am joined by frequent guest, friend of the show, music journalist extraordinaire, the number one St. Anger fan in the world, Mr. Richard S.E., and joining us for this over two-hour conversation is another great music journalist who has been on the show once before, Mr. Chris Kielek. The three of us talk about Metallica in the 2000s and metal in general during that time period. It was an interesting time between new metal and the new wave of American heavy metal. And Metallica was going through an interesting time, of course, with personnel changes and their arguably commercial low point, if not artistic low point in the eyes of many. I'm talking about St. Anger, then their return to form, as many claimed, on Death Magnetic and the Summer Sanitarium tours and just all the wacky stuff they did in between, to quote Mr. Lars Ulrich. It was an interesting time because of everything that they did, but also as now elder statesmen of heavy metal trying to find their place among all these young bands some of which were very influenced and similar to them and some of which were very just not their style to say the least so here is my conversation with richard and chris on episode 52 of metallicast My guests today are two returning music journalists and guests of the show, friends of the show. The one, the only, a man who's been on many, 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 too many times. He is the world's number one St. Anger fan, I believe. I believe that to be true. Welcome back to Metallicast, Mr. Richard S.E., Hey, I have lost count now, but thank you for having me. Yeah, I, I lost count after like the first three times, and now it's been it's been more than a handful. I know that. Probably a couple handfuls, probably like 10 or so. I think we're in the double digits now. Totally, yeah. <laughs> Always a pleasure. And also on the show is a returning guest, a man who I met because of Richard S.C., Mr. Chris Keela. Chris, how are you, bud? Hello, hello, hello. It's good to be back. I, I have not lost count. Because it's been approximately <laughs> one other time. I think I'm 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 just not feeling the love as much as much as Richard is. I <laughs> well, you know it's, what the problem you know what the problem is is that you appear to my radar much later than Richard, so he had a, a head start. Now, now what needs to happen is the reason I paired you guys on this episode is because this is actually a competition to see who is going to make the cut for future episodes. So only one of you will survive. And so after this episode, one of you will be completely dead to me. And the other one will be, will be invited back many, many times. So Chris, you thought last time you were shooting your shot, this is your chance to shoot your shot. 
may the best man win. That's all I got to say. But One by of the us way, will be the master of podcasts, and the other will be will have to rust in peace. So. Oh. <laughs> oh. There we go. Playing off my playing off the my my, my Megadeth <laughs> entry into Metallica there. By the <laughs> way, somebody I forget who it was because it was months ago now, but somebody messaged me on Twitter about the title of the episode you were on, Chris, uh, called Chris Keelix Shoots His Shot. And somebody was like, do you think you could have done better wording than that? I'm like, no, it's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was good. I got it. Oh, my God. Um, So, yeah, it's uh, we're recording this on uh, Wednesday, January 6th. It's been uh, a slow news day here in America. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if anything's been going on today. It's been, yeah. been pretty calm, right? Yeah, yeah. So well, this will hopefully be a fun distraction for all of us with all the chaos going on in the world. And hopefully it can be a distraction for all of you in the Metallica's Money Because more importantly, yeah. the most important thing in the world right now is that this is the first Metallicast episode of 2021. I took two weeks off and now Ooh. I am back and the world is a-buzzing. I see Mitch McConnell is on my TV right now, and I know he is talking about this moment right now. He's like, the world is okay. Richard, Chris, and Brandon are recording Metallicast. The, the world is, is okay. When is he going to when is he going to bring to the Senate floor what truly is the greater song off of And Justice for All? Is it Harvester of Sorrow? Or is Ooh. it Fright Ends of Sanity? No. Any any, I, any Metallica uh, any Metallica argument brought to the Senate floor would be uh, just uh, a better we'd be a better world a better country for it. I think <laughs> if if a Metallica argument was brought to the Senate floor, I think it would be um, something related to Saint Anger, probably the snare drum sound. That's true. Right. That's true. You know, you're not you're probably not wrong on that. Or. Maybe they would go old school and go all the way back to load reload. Those damn haircuts! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, no, that's I. I would. I'd be pinching myself. I would uh, die to have that happen. <laughs> Do you know how many Metallica fans would be watching C-SPAN that day? All of them. <laughs> Got to settle those thirty-year-old uh, arguments that still haven't been settled, right? <laughs> yeah. It's still well, going. Is there another band besides Metallica that has like these controversial moments that remain still talking points like 10, 20, 30 years later? Like there's been a lot of artists obviously who've had controversial moments, but I feel like over time people just kind of accept it and move on or forget about them. But like with Metallica, like everybody wants to talk about the controversy of like the black album, Bob Rock, and then the haircuts and the different sounds on Load and Reload and the snare drum on Saint Anger. And like, I just feel like there's so many things that have come up with this band that have mm. remained like arguments for people. Is there another band out there that rivals this that you guys can think know, of? I don't know, I think the Beatles, in terms of their breakup, but not even their music. Because yeah. it's pretty universally loved, right? I guess I mean, right. like, yeah. If you're at the top, if you're if you're the king and you're at the top, no matter like what genre you're in, you're gonna get picked apart and you're gonna get scrutinized. I guess. So I guess it would have mm. to be someone like really, really, like you said, like the Beatles or someone really, really. Uh, Bob Dylan you know, going electric. Beloved. Bob Dylan going electric. That that's a good one. But even now, like I think there's nobody like arguing that point right now. Like I feel like everybody looks back at mm. that and's like. 
yeah that's pretty sure, universally sure. loved like, like that was a genius move right it was controversial yeah. at the time but mm. I, I just feel like there's no moments that like 10 years later people are like in the metal rock pop world that really just remain like talking points like i could if i saw my brother right now he would still try to debate me on saying anger (laughs) 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 if i saw somebody from high school they would probably still try to debate me on napster you know like Mm. there's all these like silly things that have happened that for some reason are talking points maybe that's maybe it's the pride of the metalhead you know like we're a very proud fan base and we're very proud of our uh uh bands that we like so you know when i guess maybe with if a band shows a a weakening people like to take their hits i don't know but i can see you're at the the high school reunion it's like oh my god man i haven't seen you in so long how have you been by the way both (laughs) of you suck (laughs) (laughs) i so this is actually a good transition because we wanted to talk partly what we want to talk about today is about, well, really the, all we want to talk about today is Metallica in the 2000s. You know, obviously in the 2000s, uh, we're talking specifically about those first 10 years with Sane Anger and Death Magnetic and the new wave of American heavy metal that was happening and sort of their place in all of it. So I think this is actually a good transition because... I mean, I was in, just to give everybody uh, the time frame, I graduated high school in 2003, and then I was in college till 2007. So, like, I was still in, uh, I was, like, I feel like the perfect age to experience a lot of this music, and I, you guys are very similar in age as me as well. Yeah, because I graduated high school in 2008 and um, went to a pretty, like, conservative private school so uh it was very much looking for an escape yeah from all that and metal probably, just happened to be there yeah i was probably the furthest behind you guys i i was in fifth grade in 2003 when saint anger came out and i graduated yeah. high school in 2011 so a lot of the memories that i'm gonna probably conjure up about metallica i do have them but a lot of them are, are kind of very visual for me and i'll kind of get into that a little bit later so but i think you guys will have more of the experience of listening at the time but i'll have definite memories of more kind of visual things richard Mm. this is awkward because i'm not sure chris is even old enough to be on this podcast (laughs) strike one for chris yeah is there a legal age limit on podcasting in america i've already gone i've already gone down a level in the battle today (laughs) in 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 fairness, though, there's a lot going on today in America, so I think we can look over that one thing. But if there's a second <laughs> thing, it's going to be a big hit. Yeah, it's going to be a big hit uh, against your record. Um, oh, man. So I was uh, – let's talk a little bit about – because St. Anger is what brought you guys together. So give let's give everybody like a little bit of a background, I guess, and how you guys met because uh, I met Richard because I reached out to him because he wrote that article for Red Bull – in defense of St. Anger, uh, defending Metallica's final masterpiece as he hey. phrased it. And uh, I read that article, just randomly stumbled upon it, and I was like, who is this guy? I must speak to him. <laughs> this and, maniac, yeah. And lo and behold, um, I easily found him on Facebook and Twitter, and I did a little bit of stalking and did a message, and he <laughs> wanted to do the, an episode. And now, you know, as I said at the start, he's been doing this for uh, way too many episodes. And now Chris is trying to take his throne. <laughs> but 
uh, I met Chris because Richard emailed me and was like, hey, this is my friend Chris. He loves the podcast. He would love to be on. And then Chris and I started a conversation. And uh, the episode I did with Chris was a blast. Um, mm. And so ever since that, I wanted to do an episode with you two. You guys have only communicated online. This is actually your first time you guys have like talked face-to-face, even though we're still all online because we're all in different places and, you know, COVID. But you uh, <laughs> you guys uh, are, are seeing each other face-to-face and communicating for the first time, I believe, right? This is true. Yes, indeed. This is correct. So, and I'm, 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 I'm really the third wheel right now, so. <laughs> I feel like there's a, there's like a Venn diagram or something, and St. Anger is just in the middle of all of us. In the middle? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes, yes. So, but, but St. Anger brought you guys together, too. Uh, Chris, you, you kind of went into this a bit when you were on the show before, but if you, the two of you maybe want to tell, like, uh, briefly the story of uh, how you guys got in contact with each other. Yeah, it's it's very similar to, to your kind of discovery of, of Richard's piece. Um, I, I, I was, as you do, Googling myself, you know, in my in my uh, my a moment of vanity. I uh, only Googling, do that once a week, so I can't relate. <laughs> Googling my own name. And to my surprise, I, I, you know, I was expecting to see, you know, a lot of my articles and stuff that I'd written, you know, just kind of pop up. But what I didn't expect to see was my name crop up under the wikipedia page for saint anger i had written a piece about saint anger you know for uh this column that i was writing for the cecil league which was the county newspaper that i was writing for at the time i was the features editor there um and i had a weekly column and i i usually i used that to pretty much write about whatever i wanted and i usually did musical topics and i you know i was kind of on a saint anger kick and i was you know i really do love the album and uh, I figured I'd, you know, educate the fine folks of the county about uh, this lost <laughs> treasure. Um, so I did. And uh, so I Googled my name and it popped up under the, the Wikipedia page for saying anger. And I was like, that's odd. I wonder where that would be. So I clicked on it and searched for my name. And sure enough, it's in the bottom under the citations. And uh, it, it was next to the citation. uh basically saying that uh there are elements of saint anger that are considered like alt metal or like new metal influences um and i was just curious because there were like three or four citations in a row next to mine and i just happened to i was like oh i'm curious who like shares this kind of viewpoint on these sounds that i'm hearing on the record and you know can kind of also get that influence on the record and feel that and i scrolled next to my name and uh there was richard's article uh on redbull.com clicked on it (laughs) blew me away like i was like man i I should be ashamed to be a writer after reading that it's so damn good like i'm just gonna quit right now it's so damn good so i i i was like i gotta i can't just leave this hanging i gotta reach out to this guy and be like yo that was awesome we should connect because i can only hope to be as good a writer as you are one day so i reached out to him and uh i guess the rest is history because he's kind of taken me under his wing and he's helped me out and uh been uh, uh a good uh compatriot and brother in writing arm ever since i feel like i've given you like two practical writing tips total and like a bunch of like really abstract stuff like um (laughs) like hey watch watch documentary films uh especially now you're like like, trapped Mm, probably shouldn't write about them i don't think i said that i was like uh there are ways to tackle this that that, that was on my that that came on my own it's like probably shouldn't write about that 
<laughs> with everything going on. But uh, uh, for the for the record, uh, I am uh, firmly against everything that has been happening in that saga, and uh, have since um, reformed my ways um, on that band. I'm probably very ashamed that I uh, ever liked them after uh, everything that happened. So, and this is. Strike two. So, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, to be fair, they make it hard to like them. So, uh, can't blame you for that at all. It's not on you, buddy. So, this is like your first actual reunion. That was a lovely story, Chris, that you told. It was, I could feel the love and the warmth and the admiration <laughs> and the respect. And and, that, and to that, pay it back, yeah, I've I very much enjoyed your writing as well. You're a distorted sound mag, right? At that's the moment? correct. Yeah, that and I just, yeah, I just, I... I've been doing stuff with them for a little bit and I yeah. just started writing for that publication called noisy. Uh, not the Sweet. noisy, like the yeah, yeah, yeah. noisy, but the other N O I Z Z E is also based out of the UK. Nice. Awesome. Been enjoying what you're doing. There's like a whole broad, uh, range of stuff you're covering, like European melodic metal and like interviewing bands and stuff. So keep doing what you're doing. Thanks man. Same to you. Like, you know, I, I, I've, you know, looked up a bunch of your pieces, and again, I'm blown away by everything you do. And uh, obviously, I follow <laughs> you very closely on Twitter, and your Twitter account is a gem. So everybody should follow Richard on Twitter, and but and hey. follow the Telecast on Twitter. I was waiting for the podcast love. I'm just saying. <laughs> all right, you know, I'm trying to bump. Uh, listen, I'm trying to bump myself up here. I'm trying to climb, dig myself out of the hole that I just dug myself into by mentioning the word trap. So <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So. We, I, I think, uh, you know, one of the things we talked about off air was kind of just talking about our, uh, since Saint Anger was the first Metallica album of the two thousands, that's our topic today, and it's what co- sort of brought the three of us together initially, is just talking about where, um, we were, uh, or like how we first kind of stumbled upon that record and our memories of hearing that album for the first time. So, like, like I said, I was in high school. I was uh, a senior in high school about to graduate, like probably weeks away from graduation because that came out at the beginning of June. Um, but what I remember most fondly about that, the release of that album, was just everything leading up to it because there were so many question marks about Metallica, right? They uh, All we knew as fans was Jason Newsted had quit, James Hetfield had gone to rehab. Um, obviously, the, the years leading up to St. Anger were very... Uh, uh divisive uh with the load and reload and then you know things like garage inc and snm and then napster and just they gave uh as popular as they remained and as much as i love those albums they also gave a lot of ammunition to people who wanted to hate on them um so i was very intrigued with what came next and i remember richard you were on previously uh, on one of your many appearances, talk about MTV icon Metallica, which is uh, quite an interesting um, artifact. Uh, yes, yes, to say the least. Um, but it is, uh, it's just, I, I remember watching that as a senior in high school, hoping that Metallica would play new music because I had not heard anything new by them yet. And then they come out and they, and they do that medley of their songs. And then they start playing what we now know is frantic and then it goes to credits and it ends like as james starts singing i was like what the fuck You're like, <laughs> they start playing a new song on mtv icon metallica and you end it like that like 
anyways, but I, I, I remember too, because I'm a nerd, obviously, since I'm hosting this podcast. I recorded it on uh, VHS <laughs> to date myself, and I would rewind and I would like, I several times like listen to that part that they played and like try to make out as much of it as I could. And then I heard the track St. Anger on my local FM rock radio station. And it was um, very weird. I just remember thinking, like, it sounds like Metallica, but also sounds nothing like Metallica. It's heavy. It's fast. It's aggressive. It's muddy. It's downtuned. It's it's just weird. And I remember going to school and kids being like, I hate that you flush it out part. Sounds like Linkin Park. <laughs> and then... And then people hating on the no guitar solos. And I was like, all right, I got to like fight for my band again, you know? And then I brought home the album and I remember listening to it in my room from start to finish. And my initial reaction was like, some of the songs I liked, some of the songs just confused me. It was like the first Metallica album I had heard uh, up to that point where I was just like, I'm not sure what to think of this. It was the first sound that I had to listen to like on like a few times before I could get like truly into it and understand it and kind of come to appreciate some of the songs. Like a song like My World, I listened to that song once and I was like, song, I hate to say it, but the song is dumb. And then now I listen to it. I'm like, wait, I fucking love that song. (laughs) I think it took me like a good 13 years to appreciate that song, honestly. Yeah. 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 There's a lot to dissect there. And it's just like such an ugly sounding album. And I mean, the production aside and the songs aside, it's a it's a hard album to listen to. We're talking about like over like nearly 80 minutes and it does not let up. It's just like a brutal, dark album for 80 minutes. Like in by any band, that's like a lot to take in on one lift. So that album was like that. That's what I remember about like first everything leading up to that record and then first uh hearing it um i also remember too like it was it it had a release date and then they surprised everybody by moving up the release date because they didn't want it to leak so i remember like being home like on my way home from school i'm driving home and i heard on the radio they played like one of the new songs probably saying anger and they're like oh the new metallic comes out today and i was like what because this was before smartphones and everything was at the palm of her hand. So I was like, I immediately like turned around, went to my local record store, bought the album and then went home. And I was like, all right, I'm going to be late for dinner, I guess. Cause I got to go buy St. Anger. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my St. Anger story. But you guys were coming at it from a different perspective because you guys are younger than me. As the next youngest, I might go next. So, um, <laughs> Let me think. I don't really know how I got into rock music, to be honest. I mean, I kind of know. Like, there was stuff playing on the radio, obviously, in Australia in the early 2000s. I remember liking Nickelback, which I don't know if I've talked about this much, but I've owned at least four Nickelback albums on CD. Silver Side Up, How You Remind Me, being one of them. Uh, That's a band who were influenced by the Black Album. So just to be clear, just to be clear, 
for all the trues out there, I'm doing yes. a Metallica podcast with a Nickelback fan and a Trapped fan. Just, just the <laughs> no, a no longer. <laughs> let's, let's, Same. A former Nickelback let's fan. <laughs> I'm sure you have some fun skeletons in your closet too, Brennan. Never. I definitely did not own a Vanilla Ice cassette. <laughs> I, it was wrapped up what it was wrapped up in all those early 2000s bands that i just fell in love with i didn't i didn't know at the time listen now I, I know better and yeah so anyway I, we, we we all have those musical skeletons but yeah point being i i don't really know how i jumped from nickelback and lincoln park to like metallica and nirvana and tool and stuff like i guess it was just from being on the internet and like osmosis and you know early wikipedia where you'd make connections and just click 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 and open tabs for the first time that was a new thing in like 2003 um but yeah i remember like discovering metallica around 2003 but only really the singles so like in the sandman um i guess puppets i don't know if i'd listened to many full albums by them or by anyone at that point but we had um, Channel V on cable in Australia, which is like, or was like our MTV, except they actually did play videos. And I remember the St. Anger video and the Unnamed Feeling video being pretty much in rotation at the time. I think because Metallica were touring on the Big Day Out Festival, which is also gone, RIP. Um, but yeah, it must have been some kind of sponsorship crossover thing. But... Some kind of monster sponsorship. Yeah, I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) I um, I think I heard those songs and I didn't really process what was so weird about them at the time. But I do remember going out and buying the album as I became more of a fan of Metallica and of metal in general. I had the version of the album with the DVD with the rehearsal footage and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I have one very uh, very distinct memory of I think 2005 having my Discman. And having Saint Anger in the Discman after school, and oh, like yeah. uh, escorting my grandma to like a doctor's appointment <laughs> while listening to Saint Anger, so yes. that was um, 2000s culture <laughs> in a nutshell. But um, interesting because I think yeah, at that time, you know, it's like it's all metal, right? Yeah, metal, metal's all metal. It's a tautology, whatever you want to call it. But Metallica kind of felt very separate to my perception of everything else that was going on in metal at the time. I was on like video game forums where they talk about metal and they were talking about like Nightwish and Children of Bodom, which RIP Alexi Leho, part of what yes. inspired this topic. Um, but uh, yeah, there was all this like melodic kind of nerdy European metal happening at the time that I was really getting into because I played classical piano. Um, right. And so there was that classical music connection. That appealed to my brain, whereas Metallica were like these kind of old gods floating around with this weird new album that I kind of liked, but I didn't really comprehend. And I guess it would just say that way, you know, I just revisited every two years or so until probably 2013 when I was like really thinking about it and went, oh, okay, there's really something here I should like dig deeper. So I guess that's my story. (laughs) So what you're saying is we are... If my math is correct, we are three years away from your Lulu article. Ooh. Yeah, probably. It's coming. <laughs> In the pipeline. <laughs> and Chris, you were even later to the game. 
because you are uh, younger than Richard. Yeah, it's mine. My, I, you know, most of my story from last time. It was, yeah. Uh, I was super into Megadeth. I mean, I got into heavy music because, as most, I feel like a lot of a prototypical kind of American kid story. You know, my dad listens to like Led Zeppelin and Queen and ZZ Top, Alice Cooper, classic dad rock bands, classic rock bands. Kind of introduces to me slowly over time, and you know, I, I think. I'm the coolest kid in school for listening to Led Zeppelin when that could probably not be further from the truth. <laughs> um, but after that, um, I think, you know, a really big step for me was getting Guitar Hero 1 and 2. And that mm. was a really kind of big musical portal for me, uh, especially in like rock and metal, because that had like Avenged Sevenfold on it. It had like Primus. It had, uh, and it had a Hang Right Team by Megadeth, which I, mm. which was kind of my introduction to. Okay. <laughs> and that was a. You got it. Please do it one more time. I got to hear the, the Dave Mustaine. I cracks me up every time. Please do it. It's my day. <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that version of Hangar 18 on Guitar Hero was a cover, right? It was. It was. Yeah. That's what I was, that's what I was just about to mention. It's a it's a cover of, of Hangar 18, but I was so impressed by the just the guitar work because mm. I couldn't play it, but I was just <laughs> I never heard guitar work by that before in, in any kind of music. Like I never heard shredding really, like in, in any right. of the, the rock bands that I listened to before then. And so I was like, I gotta I gotta you know I like what I'm hearing. I want more of it. And this is the only band I know that I've played on Guitar Hero so far that does it. So I should probably start here. So uh, that was what kind of kickstarted my my Megadeth deep dive and I became a huge fan and as uh Brandon knows I uh uh was a Megadeth defender you know and you know other people when I went into high school were huge Metallica fans I was the I was the Megadeth so much better guys like Marty Freeman's such a better guitarist than Kirk Hammond it's not even close <laughs> kind of you know we all we all kind of are those brash people at some point when our musical opinions um oh yeah and I you know and as I mentioned, I I didn't get into Metallica until kind of much, much later. A lot of through, because of other music games like Rock Band and just kind of slow dissemination over time by hearing like Battery or Master of Puppets, Enter Sandman and uh, Wherever I May Roam and lots of other songs kind of one by one, single by single, kind of that popped up at different times throughout, you know, my high school and even into early college. And then I really didn't even become a huge Metallica fan as big as I am now until uh around the hardwired era when i was starting to see mm. them live for the first time when i was about to go see them live so i'm i'm pretty late to the game in terms of taking a deep dive and going back and listening to everything start to finish but i can firmly remember going back to saint anger um i'm not sure how many people remember this because this is a this probably feels like a relic but every sunday we would get huge stack of ads inside the sunday papers when they would get mm. delivered to us um and inside those ads, there'd always be like a Circuit City ad and a Best Buy ad, mm. like all the electronic stores. And I would R.I.P. Circuit City. Uh, <laughs> I would yes, R.I.P. to Circuit City, man. Um, I would uh, pour one out for them. I would gleefully uh, <laughs> go through the Best Buy and Circuit City ads because I was I had a PS2 at the time, and I I wanted to like see what cool PS2 games, what what rated T games could I try and convince my mom to buy for me this week. Um, <laughs> yeah. But. Um, 
I know I where this is going. I remember looking the music section because they always, they always like either I can't remember whether they opened with it or ended with it. And like I think the the Best Buy ad, well, those two ads, Circuit City and Best Buy, jump out to me. But it might have been Circuit City, I think. Uh, either opened with the music, like the CDs that had come out back when music like released on like uh, they, they're like upcoming releases for like Tuesdays and stuff. I think they, mm-hmm. they released music on. Yep. Um, and one of them, music I remember back in the day, was the Saint Ang- was Saint Anger, and I remember looking. At the CD, the pus had art, and just being like, "What in the world is that?" Like, I was just so—I didn't even know what it was. Like, I didn't know it was Metallica. I was too young. Yeah. I mean, this was even before in—you know—in fifth grade, I didn't even really care about music. It's only later that I started getting mm. into the classic rock that my dad gave me. I didn't even really care about music much at all during that time. But I remember looking through it on my way, and I—you know—I saw stuff like a lot of iconic album covers during that time, like. American Idiot came out the next year. I remember yeah. being like very struck by that mm-hmm. album art. But I saw the St. Anger art, the plus head, the fist, and I was like, I don't know what that is, but it's super cool. Another one that jumps out to me is like Queens of the Stone Age era Vulgaris. I'm very drawn to like these very colorful kind of really weird uh, designs for cover for cover art. But I remember seeing the, the St. Anger art and being like, I don't know what that is, but I think it's really cool. And I mean, that was and that was pretty much it for such a long time. And um, I mean, I remember, you know, as I got uh, more online and I spent more time online on like iTunes after I got my first iPod, I remember uh, like further on into the 2000s, like I remember when like the Day That Never Comes single came out. And I remember because the yeah. single is, I think it's mm-hmm. Hetfield's face, like a close up of his face. Yeah. And I remember that being very striking to me and seeing that on iTunes um, and kind of, you know, I remember the the release of, of of Death Magnetic partly because of my math teacher that I mentioned in the previous episode who was like obsessed with Metallica. <laughs> he had a Saint Anger poster in his uh, his mat in his uh, office, which instantly nice. made his, his teacher. Um, Get him on I the pod. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't think that I. I'm trying to think. You know, the first time I might have heard a song off of Saint Anger, it may have been just kind of curiosity on on metallica's uh, itunes page and clicking on it was probably saint anger the title track and hearing like 30 seconds of it just hearing the 30 seconds of the uh the really fast blistering part going into the saint anger my neck, like that mm-hmm. part and i was like this is this is because i think i'd probably heard like master of puppets and then her sandman up to that point and that's about all i had known and so I was like, mm. this is really the same band? It sounds so weird and different. Like, this is bizarre. <laughs> like, and I didn't like it. Like, I didn't like it at all. So, like, I never touched it again until, I don't know. I, I think I really made a deep dive kind of, again, during that later period of the hardwired era when I was starting to see them, you know, getting ready to see them live and taking that deep dive. And I right. I watched, I was, I was going back and watching a lot of, like, music documentaries, especially about metal. And I watched, um, uh, some kind of monster for the first time. And I just remember being very struck by that documentary and really wanting it. It really left me wanting to go back and give that record a second look. And I think really after that, um, and then subsequently me moving out to my new job um, and just listening to like so much more Metallica after that point, it was really a band that was kind of instrumental in my transition to a new job, a new location. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really grew to appreciate that album because it was very stressful in a lot of ways. And that album is very cathartic and very, uh, is a release of, of anger and tension and pain. And, you know, I don't have, I don't claim to be the, the most person who suffers the most on this planet, 
but you know, I can I can have my angsty moments as much as anybody else in my my mm. moments where I'm feeling a little down. So I think that's what really drew me to it, and it's only grown and cemented itself in my mind as um, a record that's not only visually striking from those days that I remember back in the catalog, but a record right. that is sonically striking and lyrically striking, like very. Mm. Uh, I think I talked about this a lot. I love it because of how raw and how emotional it is and i really believe every single thing that james hetfield says on that record like Absolutely. there's not a moment on that record where i don't believe him that i don't believe like it's not phony sure, yeah. to me. Like, there's there's a lot of you know it came out in the era of new metal and the kind of post grunge thing and you know we can debate whether how much is that is genuine pain or kind of done for commercial value but i don't doubt mm. a single thing james hetfield sings on that record Absolutely. well i think that's a big reason why no matter what they release and the general public's reaction to it, they just keep on moving on to the next thing and are still able to sell stadiums and sell millions of albums. So like, like St. Anger is, uh, I was just talking about this on a recent episode, like St. Anger is their low point that won a Grammy award, sold millions <laughs> of albums worldwide. Like I wish I had if, that low point. Right, if that's your career low point, then you you have a pretty fucking great career, and it, and I just think it it's because there's that honesty there. Like if they had released um, an album that came across as phony, fake, cashy, and people can read through that, and I oh, think yeah. that would have done permanent damage to them. Not that it would have ruined their career in two thousand three, but I think 100%. it would have done. I it would have done permanent damage to them, but the fact that they can reduce something and it comes across as like, all right, you know what? I think this album is shit, but they're, they seem honest and they stand behind it. Like there's a respect level there that keeps people coming back for, well, I want to see what happens next. I think that's, I think that's the thing, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, Richard, you and I are, because we're sighted next to each other, obviously we heard kind of similar sounds in that record. You know, mm. it definitely plays on. I mean, I don't. I, I think, I, I think it would be very hard to deny that it kind of, at least pulls something. Because I mean, if you watch the some kind of monster documentary, you hear Kirk even say, you know, the fact that this doesn't have guitar solos on it is going to date it. And I mean, he's kind of right. But at the same time, I do applaud them for kind of wanting to branch out and try a lot of the, the the the, the elements that were popular in music. The very percussive kind of heavy groove that was really mm. you know big and new metal at the time you know i'm not sure if that was conscious but i mean I, I don't think that they that they hadn't been hearing anything that was going on at the time and it probably bled through at least a little bit so i mean i do mm. applaud them for, for that for sure i would never say that saint Anger is an alternative or a new metal album but yeah you're right there's no denying that there are elements i would even say i don't know like maybe 10 15 percent or something and you can kind of isolate those elements like there's a little system of a down a little queens of the stone sure. age i think uh, i want to say maybe a little bit of corn and like some of the bridges like invisible kid and the unknown feeling but to me it's like it's like when you said um about kirk's comment about it the lack of guitar solos dating the album to me that's true and it's not true because Yes, there are a lot of records from around that era that don't have guitar solos, but also San Anger is so weird and singular that it just transcends its time, I think. And, you know, right. look at us. Like, we're still talking about it uh, however many years later. 
18? I can't count. <laughs> 2003? 17, 17 right. years? Almost, 17 almost years. 18 years later. Or no, yeah. 18, because it's 2021 now. That's right. I'm still stuck yeah. in 2020. Apparently. Good lord. But it's not like... um. <laughs> It's not Get like out! one of those. Get out! <laughs> it's it's like, not like one of those like, albums that people trot out to, you know, have a chuckle at and go, "Oh, let's listen to and uh, make fun of this historically bad album." No, it's people are talking about it because they care about it either way. I think whether you yeah. hate it or love it, you'll find something. I there, think even I think. more now, though, because like yeah. popular music. If I if I if I even go into popular music, you know my. When I was in high school, pop music was very different. I don't know how I'm talking about pop music mm. in a Metallica podcast, but you'll see where I'm going here. It's not the first music, time. It won't be the last. <laughs> pop music, when I was in high school, and Richard, I've actually spoken with you about this kind of yeah. just through texting, you and I. Um, it was very happy. It's just a different mood. Like It was very mm. like happy and light, and it had a just completely different feel than pop music today. Like Pop music today embraces emotion and embraces kind of anger and pain and you know, not that pop music back then didn't in, in its entirety, but hmm. today it's just there's there's a there is a, a glory to being vulnerable now. So much totally. more like especially with more discussions about mental health and, you know, the state of the world, everything, all the crazy things we've lived through. I think there's a more it's okay, you know, there's a permission and a an encouragement and a, a, a pride in being vulnerable and, and opening yourself up to to pain and to, to expressing those feelings. And I think that's you know, why Saint Anger, especially now, is getting a lot of critical kind of re, you know, revaluing because I think there are people are saying, you know, this is a band that a, a metal band that nobody ever thought would be that vulnerable, and whether it's in the documentary mm. or in the album, would be that kind of vulnerable and express those kinds of feelings. You know, dealing with alcoholism with James and you know, the band strife and all of that coming out on the record, like it's getting a, I feel like it's getting more applauded now because of it was so ahead of its time in that regard at least at least i argue that i used to say that oh there are dozens of us but i feel like every time someone posts or writes a new article about it there's like more and more momentum for the record like even on forums and i think youtube comments are like actually really good for that because you know a lot of them are terrible but you can kind of take the temperature of the collective mood around something by looking at them and i was going to say that it wouldn't surprise me if emo rappers of today, like, um, I mean, Juice World or Lil Peep, R.I.P. to both of them, but I can imagine them appreciating San Anger because they really bared, bared their heart and soul in a way that was quite, like, uncomfortable and not always polished at the time, but very honest. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Mm. I think, too, every band, like, I don't think Metallica was... I. I Maybe Lars Ulrich was. I don't think James Hatfields was at home listening to Korn and saying, I got to write an album like this. I think what happens is you are, you can't help but like soak up what's going on around you, especially when you're in the mix and you're in that world. And if you look at most metal bands at that time, let's look at the big four. They started down tuning. Slayer started tuning down in the '90s um, and slowing things down a little bit. Anthrax, if you look at a song like "Inside Out," is like kind of more like alt metal, down tuned, sluggish. Uh, and I'm like, I feel like 
it's just like when grunge happened, just when like Nine Nails happened and all of a sudden you had bands doing going industrial and stuff. Like it's just a sign of the times in that sense of like this is what's happening. You kind of just whether purposely or accidentally soak up what's going on around you. And I think they took all that energy with their old school thrash energy and just like shout out this deformed metal baby. <laughs> yeah. Like the baby on um, Born Again by Black Sabbath. Or something. <laughs> yes, exactly. That was actually the exact image in my brain yeah. as I was saying that. Um, so I, I think it's more a sign of the times in that regard, not as like a purposeful, like new metal, alt metal statement, because right. I think, I think when you really break down the album, it still sounds like Metallica. Definitely. Like, it, it, oh yeah. I, there are moments where you're like, like an all within my hands. I'm like, oh, I could hear like a system of a down influence or I can hear, you know, x y and z influence here or there but there's never a point where i'm like oh there's turntables and james hatfield's going into a rap here and uh kirk's wearing his you know jinko jeans and his adidas sweatsuit and like i it it just never like it they still i think it was an honest true representation of where they were as a band and what that soaked up things around them like i think most any bands did and when you just look at the big four like I think Anthrax, I mean uh, Megadeth is really the only band that didn't kind of go down that um, like down tuned, slow it down. They kind of went in a different direction, but they were also in that awkward place where like the band was like ending in like the early two thousands, yeah. and then you know Dave Mustaine came back yeah, they later did, they and kind of went in, relaunched. And... With them. They went in like an opposite direction. You know, they got like uh, you know world famous country producer, and you know they played very kind mm. of slick, polished. Yeah. not down tuned they kind of they kind of wanted you know instead AOL of utilizing almost. instead yeah instead of utilizing kind of what was popular i guess in hard rock and metal at the time they kind of just went kind of even in a more you know what's pop popular direction. melodic poppy yeah. type kind of direction not that I, think, I don't like those records but yeah. you know they're definitely very different like you said from the other three in the big four for sure i think yeah, yeah Meta- I mean, megadeth didn't really change their essence at all they just got kind of like i want to say watered down a bit you know like the fire yeah. wasn't there but they were still kind of doing the same stuff so it's no surprise to me that like they were never associated with all the big like new metal festivals they would never have done a summer sanitarium tour with limp biscuit right. but like a few years after that oh five oh six they started gigantor with a bunch of bands who did reflect how they saw metal um, with Very kind of the heavier stuff, so yeah. yeah and I'm it, curious. To t- I'm curious to talk about those those summer sanitarium tours because I know that was something that was on our docket because I mean, yeah. yeah, long before my time of even seeing concerts. So that may have been you know something that you got was more on Brandon, especially your consciousness. And but it's it's interesting because I love I love all those new metal bands. Like I I just think it's the I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion. I think it's the coolest thing ever that that Metallica was touring with Power Man Five Thousand and and and. <laughs> corn and all these bands that i just like have a really soft spot spot in my heart for but i really want to hear you guys talk about it because you know you're a little bit older and that's kind of something that's more in your realm for me personally i never got into new metal i was like an old school metal head and then i like made a transition to like more extreme metal so i was you know if i was not listening to 
uh, Metallica that I was discovering like the first Black Dahlia Murder album. And I so I I never like got into Corn. I never got into Limp Bizkit. I never got into like those bands. I would say the only band from that era that I've gotten into and have maintained interest in is System of a Down, who I think kind of operates outside of even though they get labeled as new metal, I think that's like labeling it's 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 like if you label Metallica like just a thrash band, right? Like there's there's yeah. like a lot more to it than they put some outside that bubble. Yeah. 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 So I I actually saw both Summer Sanitarium tours. Summer Sanitarium two thousand was my first time ever seeing Metallica. Um, I was in high school. Um, I was so uh, in retrospect, I was I'm so happy that I got to see Jason Newstead with them before he left. Yeah, um, that's right. And, oh, very cool. And the interesting thing about Summer Sanitarium was that the first one was that they were not really promoting anything. So they like the, their most recent thing was I Disappear. There was like not really an album they're promoting, so you got like a a pretty varied set list of like you know some old school stuff like obviously fan favorites like creeping death for whom the bell tolls um one master puppets and then you got some black helm songs and you would get like um you know i disappear no leaf clover like all this like more 90s stuff that they were doing so it was a very varied set list but it was interesting from that perspective because they weren't really like promoting anything and it was the bill kind of made sense in regard it was like you know the first time i think whether you like the bands or not the first time rock music had been really relevant in the mainstream since the grunge movement right after grunge i feel like hip-hop came along and true not that hip-hop wasn't popular before them but hip-hop just really killed rock in terms of like where like the new rock stars i want to say 90s i want to say that was maybe the first time that hard rock was relevant but like pop rock and rock bands and even the lighter alt rock definitely had a bit of representation. You know? I would agree with that. Post grunge and stuff was around, yeah. Yeah, but for heavier bands, I feel like it was really their first. True. Yeah, since the '80s, I would say, like even since like the hair metal days, for sure. Like, I, I, to me, those are like two big benchmarks. Even going over grunge, like I think, like mm. for metal or for like metal or like what we would you know categorize as definitely heavier than like any grunge band. I would say like the eighties and then jump to the early two thousands, late nineties, early two thousands. And those are your kind of areas. You're right. Where metal definitely takes a, a forefront into popular consciousness, you know, bands like Limp Bizkit and, and Lincoln park were, mm. you know, all over MTV on TRL and hanging out with Christina Aguilera and dealing yeah. with the pop stars. Yeah. Today. So I think that's cool. Well, Fun and that's sort of time. And that was sort of like <laughs> the, but that was sort of like that whole, that whole era, right, was like that. You look at, like, family values. You look at mm. um, all these tours that were happening at the time, um, even, like, OzFest and more, like, things that were very specific to, like, metal and hard rock. Like, there were all these bands were a big part of it. And so I think Summer Santana was sort of, like, an extension of that. I think in it, it wasn't that weird seeing Metallica headline with Kid Rock, Korn, system of down and powerman 5000 like these were all i mean it was in retrospect it's weird thinking powerman 5000 was on any tour never mind that one but and and it was funny because system of down had like their first album out and that was it so they were the second band on i I saw them in the daylight yeah um and then corn was the third band on and because kid rock was the biggest 
act there outside of Metallica at the time. Yeah, Death um, Metal Calls was huge. Black. Yeah. So like Corn was there playing. This was before they really broke through with like Goth the Life and stuff, if I'm not mistaken, in 2000. About the same time, I think. I, I, yeah, so I think it, maybe that, it was like yeah. right before. Yeah, I, think, I think that followed the leader album that had like Goth the Life and Freak on a Leash. I think that was like 98. So actually, yeah, it would have been like that, kind of just off that album. That was August. Oh, so 16, maybe it was like kind of like August 16, 1998, which I know because I wrote an article about the three biggest new metal <laughs> albums that dropped that day. Of course you which know that. Was of course he Kid was. Rock, yeah. Devil Out of Cause, Corn Follow the Leader, yes. Orgy, Candy Ass, all good yeah. in different wow. ways. All right. Thank you so to Billboard. I, see, this is how much I do not associate with the new metal scene. Is that like I know these things exist, but like I cannot put like a year to them. My, um, my editor grew up then and he was like, hey, can you write this article that I've been thinking about ever since it happened? And I'm like, yep. um for whatever reason kid rock i guess got the headlining over them but i don't it didn't really stand out as like a weird thing but Mm. it it was not as weird as summer sanitarium 2003 in my opinion with limp biscuit because at that point limp biscuit was like on the decline yeah and they were kind of like a joke band and like people were kind of seeing them as like a modern day like silly hair metal band at that point. Like they they didn't last in the public eye yeah. much mm. after two thousand. Yeah, they become like a pastiche so, of themselves in a way. I guess, that was that like point. the weirder the weirder of the two, and I you know and I think for Metallica it makes sense because if you're you're playing a big outside summer show, this is a way to get more casual people in. You know, like I don't think any. I don't think anybody was going for Kid Rock and then leaving before Metallica. Everybody there was Metallica fans, but you get the but the people who are like big fans of like the Black Album and Load only might be like, well, I don't know, and I, I saw Metallica a couple years ago. Oh, but all those other bands are there. I'll go. That'll be a good show. You know, you get some of the more casual people. But yeah. 2003 right. Summer Sanitarium was a lot more awkward. I think it it just didn't. Deftones played and they don't. In, in my opinion, they didn't translate well in a 50,000-seat stadium. Yeah. Uh, Lincoln Park played, which is, like, even – which is more poppy than anything that was on, two, like, in the 2000s Summer Sanitarium. Mm. And then you had Limp Bizkit, who, like I said, was on the decline. And then you had Metallica, who was promoting yeah. St. Anger at that point. So, like, it was just, like, a very yeah. weird – Yeah, you're very, right. That, that is weirder. It yeah. is a very weird tour. And I, I – I, I was thinking a lot about this, uh, knowing that we were recording tonight, and I just feel like, you know, like those early 2000s, Metallica was trying to find their place as a band. They spent like the first basically three years of the 2000s um, infighting, bassist quitting, rehab, recording an album. And they're trying to find themselves as a band outside of all these things. Now they're back in the public eye with the new album and the metal hard rock scene has completely changed it's completely different than when they did even snm in 1999 or never mind when they did load reload in 96 and 97 oh yeah so i see that as just kind of them trying to like come out have fun shows find their place and yeah and like bring in all the, like yeah. the chaos bring in some new people like you know try and try and get some new blood and discover you know in the changing landscape get some get some new blood to kind of take a look back and be like oh you know don't forget about you know the the bands that laid kind of the groundwork for a lot of these things i just always felt it was really awkward to have like new metal and rap metal with metallica 
because there's even though like they had influenced so many of those bands they're so disparately different to listen to to me like yeah, yeah like i never saw the tour obviously but i think i'm glad that it happened because the whole thing is that like metallica did survive grunge and all that intact they weren't made obsolete by nirvana like so many other bands they i guess you could say they seemed like they were from the previous generation but they were never really like dinosaurs or granddads musically and so i guess that's why i'm glad summer sanitarium happened twice because it proved that a they still wanted to be a heavy band and b that they still wanted to be like in the popular consciousness and um, oh yeah i I I was actually looking at um yeah the 2003 one and lincoln park actually shot a dvd on that tour Um, oh really the live in texas dvd which was the i think their first live album was shot there and that's kind of iconic in its own right um pretty cool because they got to do a full set but even though they weren't headlining so um yeah you have that but it's almost as if they were like wanted to reestablish themselves but also like say like hey we're still on top here you know like these are the biggest bands in metal hard rock right now we're still laying our claim as the biggest and best. Absolutely. And I would go, I would say, you know, going back to, to not the 2000s, but, but load and reload for sure. This kind of leads into a, a new metal band. Those, those records really set a template for bands like Godsmack. So I guess you can either mm. categorize as new metal or in, in the post grunge era, but that's like a huge template for like bands like Godsmack's records. Cause those are that... very kind of in that aggressive, you know, they're very similar in, in tonally, but and I know that for I think I've seen video of um, uh, James doing stuff with Sully, like Godsmack, mm. Metallica, like he, they've been on stage together and done. I think they did Sad but True together. Like a, uh, I don't remember yeah. when that was, but I know that that's a relationship that that they've shared. So obviously yeah. they connected at some point, and he's kind of in that, you know, new metal, late '90s, early 2000s, post grunge kind of world. So sure. I, I think that they, you know, they were so huge, and those. Be, and partially because those those load and reload records from the previous decades were a huge template for those post grunge bands, kind of in the mid two thousands after Saint Anger. I also think that we can't give Allison Chains in particular enough credit for kind of connecting was... all of that stuff. Oh, yeah, because um, yeah. like they did have a bit of an eighties feel when they started out, but that kind of slow bluesy, um, almost like a little bit stoner sound yeah. is very much them. And yeah, that seeped through so much to post grunge. And they had that down-tuned groove, too, that we yeah. mentioned before. And I was literally going right. to say, if you – here's my – if I had to explain Godsmack to somebody, mm. take <laughs> Alice in Chains, mix it with Metallica, and then put the word away in every single song. Get away. Go away. Get <laughs> away. <laughs> stay away. Keep away. <laughs> gone away. It's Sounds the like the coolest band ever. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's literally their whole first album, at least, is like, stay away, keep away, go away, fall away, <laughs> gone away. <laughs> is that how you felt about them at the time? Yes. I Well, I, I knew Godsmack, <laughs> yeah. Godsmack well in the sense that I grew up uh, where they I, – I grew up in New England where they're from. So I remember hearing whatever, their first single, before they had – before it was a nationwide thing because my local rock radio was playing that song and i i remember my brother he had like their independent self-titled album 
before it was re-released like on a major label or whoever they signed to. So he was patient zero. He was my brother is a sick man and he was patient zero for all these bands that I'm not a fan of. He was he was into Limp Bizkit before they broke. He was into Corn before they broke. He was into Power Man 5000 before they broke. Yeah, we got to get him on the broke. podcast. No, yeah. we don't. No, we don't. He will literally he will literally just talk about how Corn is better than the Beatles. The, the he wow. has no sense or logic to what he speaks of. He, but I, I will give him credit because he is a, a blind, devoted fan. So there you go. he's got that going. I don't even know how to follow that. No, <laughs> there's no way to right. follow. Like, Alice in Chains for sure. But I, I, I think, yeah, in a lot in the in those load and reload records, Metallica. I, I mentioned this on my last one too. They, there's the sense of like machismo to it mm. that became that perfectly leads into those. Uh, those Facebook posts that that Richard knows about, if he follows me, that that kind hey. of permeated the early two thousands. That's like, you know, this 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 uh, aggressiveness that is like in fonts and in food and in commercials and that that permeates it. There's that machismo aggressiveness that is in load and reload that a lot of bands just adopted and and took the kind of Alice in Chains, like you said, the the bluesy down tune hmm. nature, and then Metallica kind of infused this sense of like masculinity with you know songs like fuel i think of i think of fuel i think of bad seed songs yeah. like that that are very like right you know fuck you like blah, like just kind of like it's a vibe it's hard to explain what it is but, but still you know it when you hear it still very melodic and i guess that's what yeah some of the new metal bands took like they took certain elements of that maybe the choruses where you whereas you have others like i mean slipknot and mudvayne who were like more just the detune like kind of feel mm-hmm. to it but even slipknot had hooks i guess yeah. later on oh yeah i mean there's there's like i i always think it's funny because like Corey taylor did stone sour to do stuff that was like outside yeah. of the slipknot sound now it's like they sound like the same band mm. like That's <laughs> like true. there's there's so many yeah. slipknot songs i'm like that could be a stone sour song there's a stout like a heavy Stone Sour song like that could be a Slipknot Stone song. Stone Sour like this. song that yeah. could be a Slipknot song. Yep, absolutely. actually, a hot take. I um, think the last Slipknot yeah, album might have been weird. their best. Yeah, a lot. I've heard that said before. It's yeah, really it's good, man. Shockingly good. It's really good. It's really really good. But no, hearing you, Brandon, hearing you talk about the the Summer Sanitarium, especially the 2003 one, that is a we- that is a very. I can imagine how that would be jarring at the time mm. especially if the majority of the crowd is there for metallica well i will say part. this too you're right more so than the first one i will say this um and the first summer sanitarium i feel like everybody there was like pretty was there for metallica but everybody gave them a like a pretty warm reception even kid rock because he was still like ba with the ba like he was still kind of like fresh and cool <laughs> at the time you know um yeah but by the time summer sanitarium Summer Sanitarium 2003 came out. I remember, I remember Linkin Park getting booze, and then to the point where they had to acknowledge it. Like I think they, Damn. Wow. I want to say they might have made a joke like, "Oh, you, I, you guys love us. Let's keep going or whatever." And I remember Limp Bizkit getting more booed, which, let's be honest, makes <laughs> sense. And I remember being, yeah. I was, I was on the field. So Summer Sanitarium 2000, I was like in the stands. I was like in the bleachers. But on Summer Sanitarium 2003, I was in the field. I was on the field. So. I was like, I pushed my way to the, like, near the front. So I was like, probably like second row against the guardrail type thing. And uh, okay. I remember 
like a cup like a few old school guys where they weren't old guys they're probably like in their 20s maybe 30s but they were wearing like their old school leather jackets their metallica patches limp biscuit comes out and they do the old school hair metal thing where they turn their backs and just stuck out their middle finger for the entire set <laughs> Oh man, they were they were gonna go full Paul Bailoff and start and, cutting shirts <laughs> off. <of people>. Yeah. <laughs> and the 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 worst part of the Limbiscuit set was, uh, and you will appreciate this, Richard, because of yes. the icon, they covered "Welcome Home Sanitarium" before <gasps> Metallica came on stage. Wow! And played the same song. I was like, I part of me respects because it takes balls, but part of me is like, dude, why, why? That's the thing, because, like, Fred Durst got so much mileage out of playing the pro wrestling heel. But at some point, it really backfired, and, you know, everyone yeah. was, like, not loving to hate him, but, like, just wanted him to go away, you know? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. The persona he made for himself is a big reason why mm. they are in their current state of relevancy, I think. Exactly. In addition to them, like, kind of just, like, watering down their music so much, but... um you know, like if you if you listen to and I cannot believe I'm having this conversation on Metallicast, but if you listen to their first album, Hell like there's, yeah, some, Will. there's some good riffs on there. It's a heavy album yeah. like that. That album's legit. And, yeah. you know, it, it's just sort of after that where it's just sort of like gradually just gets more and more watered down and silly and ridiculous. And just like, what are you doing? Like, you've lost the plot. Yeah. Yeah. And West yeah, Borland's a, a fantastic a, guitarist. Yeah. Yeah, it's a you know you're right. After West Borland split, I mean, I think that was kind of a, a a watershed moment for them because he's he's so good, he's so smart. Like his his riffs are so good. He's such a talented guitar player, underrated guitar player. Yeah, shout out to West Borland. Um, underrated because he was in that band. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> but I guess you know even moving out, you know, yeah, moving out of that that early, you know, the kind of early era. I mean. I, you know, Metallica, I, I, I don't remember hearing much of even being involved in Metallica world. And, you know, you guys, again, will remember more about what was going on kind of in the mid-2000s, again, between records. And uh, until I got to you know, the part where I saw the single, the, the Day That Never Comes single. Mm. So, you know, what was, I'm curious to know what was going on from you guys who were kind of monitoring for Brandon I, monitoring Metallica world closer yeah. in that era. I, I think that Metallica was so big that their presence was very much felt like kind of a void even when they're away and like outside of the kind of metal consciousness because I think 2004 to 2008 is almost like the most silent that they'd ever been in their careers. And not to say that they weren't touring, they were doing like obviously the Madly in Anger with the World Tour, um, the those escape, escape from, from the, the studio, studio tours, tours. Yeah. yeah but those latter ones were kind of small things and they felt like not filler but you know like they felt in between they weren't like definitive yeah. points like, in the we band gotta, we gotta and go so out there and we gotta like show our faces to like people let people yeah. know that we're still alive kind of thing and there was a lot of uh, anticipation and i think nervousness for what they would do to follow up saint anger um which is very different to like their eight years between Deaf Magnetic and Hardwired. Because those eight years were kind of comfortable. Like, Metallica were a legacy act. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like, we knew how it was going to turn out. Whereas, yeah. 2003 to 2008, uh, still very much a question mark. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah. When you were around, when you were around, was there a very, was there a sense 
that people were just, you know, obviously I'm assuming there was a, 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 a backlash to, to St. Anger at the time. Was there a great sense among the, the community that they're just like, okay, we're like, was there a casting off of Metallica or was there still a lot of like, okay, we're going to like ride this out and see what happens. I think it was more ride it out and see what happens. Yeah. And, and that's why I feel like when death magnetic came out, it, they didn't really miss a beat, but you also have to look at metal as a whole during that time where after new metal and like alt metal came out, which I feel like was very influenced by yes, by Metallica and those bands from the thrash era and stuff. But, but also more so like Richard was saying, Alice in Chains and those type of things. When you have like what I what has been dubbed as like the new wave of American heavy metal come out, that to me is a direct influence from thrash. Yeah. It is just modern thrash. Uh, thrash it's so and like Swedish melodic death metal as well. Yes. Like yeah. Yes. Sure. Yeah. So you have so this is sort of like the movement that like. There were, I, do not get me wrong, there were new metal bands I was listening to in high school, but they were primarily like, you know, like I said before, the Black Dahlia Murder, um, Dillinger Escape Plan, things that were like a little bit more extreme, whereas this right. was the first time like modern metal bands that were starting to kind of break through could be on like a Guitar Hero game, for example, um, or mm -hmm. be played on like you know, at least MTV two, which was a thing. Yeah, at the I remember. Time. I or, remember very, very clearly. Laid to rest, Lamb of God's "Laid to Rest" was on. Yeah, uh, was on uh, Guitar Hero, and I remember, uh, you know, being, you know, again another one of those songs struck by the guitar work. And yeah, uh, you're right. That was a that was kind of a return to, um, that the the very thrash elements of, you know, lead guitars really being a huge presence being a big force and like richard saying the the influence of the the swedish melodeth bands you know if you talk to uh, you know a band like you think of a band like trivium you know they've gone on record and saying that their second record the crusade record they're yeah. like we just wanted to be like metallica like that was like yeah. our metallica record we just kind of wanted yeah. to, to follow in their footsteps with that you said it best when you said the guitar work this was when guitar the guitar as an instrument once again became the focus point of metal and hard rock because during New metal, the guitar was obviously a part of it. Obviously, you had to have some riffs here or there, but it was more about groove and feel. The yeah. the right. rhythm sections, drums, bass, like there was that hip hop influence yeah. that was coming through, and not just like the rapping that that some of the bands were doing, but musically as well. It, it was more about like let's have you know a beat and a groove and kind of yeah. like more about atmosphere and now you had the return of guitar harmonies guitar solos and just great guitar work um that took the thrash bands and as richard was saying like this uh more melodic death metal bands from sweden and whatnot and you had the merging of these worlds to create something new and you also had metalcore which was sort of taking thrash and hardcore and kind of just like polishing up the hardcore elements and just kind of combining this thing so now you have a lot of bands who are, play really well a lot of bands who could write great songs with great hooks you listen to a like a, a band like trivium who i'm a big fan of they can write a really heavy fast song and then go into this like super poppy chorus that just like sticks in your ear mm -hmm. and that and same thing if you listen to a band like kill switch engage or yeah. um or you know uh, any bands from that era or whatever and i i think the bands that really started that was um you have to look at in flames and you have to look at um 
a band like Children About Him. Again, yeah. rest in peace to Alexi Leo. Alexi Leo, yeah, mm. for sure. Uh, because for sure. I, I, I remember being in high school and I, I knew this kid who I was friendly with and he was like a huge Inflames fan. And I remember hearing Clayman for the first time. And like Inflames is not a band. It's fine because a lot of these bands had like I had moments with, but I never like, like I never felt the need to buy a new Inflames album because it was out. But they had a couple albums that were like moments for me. And like Clayman was like a moment for me as like a metal fan. And same thing with Children of Bodom. Like they were an important band to me, but like I I never really like stuck with them and like followed all their later albums. But they had a couple albums that were just really like important albums to me and my friends and so like these albums are coming out now and then you got the metalcore movement which trivium was like a part of and at the beginning and and then you have a band like lamb of god and then you have you know all these other bands kind of coming out and finding their own and it's just a lot more in line with like the metal that i liked um you know when once i discovered metallica and Megadeth and the big four and all these thrash bands and even the more extreme metal like the death metal black metal stuff you had the screaming you had um the harder guitars you had the modern technology to like really beef up the sounds and I, I just thought uh that's kind of what stood out to me from that movement and I thought Metallica makes perf like Metallica was really weird in the whole uh when placed among all the new metal rap metal stuff but here they feel like right at home because they're like the almost the direct descendants of Metallica musically. All these bands. You look at Machine Head. You look at, um, you know, pretty much any of them. All that remains, Shadows Fall. Like they're all basically Metallica, but modernized. Yeah, yeah. I feel I feel the same. It's and that's why all those bands were such a on regular rotation. That was really the era. You know, it was later on for me. It was kind of post-Death Magnetic. But right around that time, I was listening to, you know, I had heard Cyanide, really liked it. It was on my iPod. And at the same time, I, w- I was discovering Shadows Fall, Kill Switch Engage, all those early 2000s. And even, you know, heavier and lighter. I was kind of I was kind of going back and forth. Like I was listening to, you know, like you said, like I said, Kill Switch Engage, Shadows Fall, but also listening to Breaking Men and Three Days Grace. Like, I was kind of just, mm. it was all encompassing for me, but it all, you know, it was definitely, anything heavy was was in my rotation, but I definitely felt, you know, when I put it together and stuff was on shuffle, if I heard um, a Chimera song, or I heard, in, right, you know, and then right after that, heard a Metallica, heard something off of Death Magnetic, or heard Cyanide, which is, you know, probably that, and I think I had... Um, I don't know if I had any. I don't know if I. I might have had the day that never comes. I think I had um, uh, all nightmare long uh, as well. But you know, yeah. really the singles because I was again I was listening to kind of things on a single basis at that point, not really right. kind of paying attention to full full records. But yeah, right. It didn't sound out of place. It all kind of. I was like, okay, I see how these connect. I can connect the dots for myself and see how these all kind of tie together. And that was really exciting. Like it's really exciting to kind of go through that period of discovery mm. and see how like one thing connects with the other and it felt really good to be in this place where heavy music to me just felt you know it felt like it, it just felt really exciting just because i was discovering it all at once and the real, like the, part of that 
we were all like the right age for it you know like those bands were mostly in their 20s maybe some in their early 30s like the ones that had stuck around for a bit longer mm -hmm. uh, in a few incarnations but yeah like as teenagers you know we could relate to it there was myspace to discover all these bands forums piracy which was a big part of my uh how i discovered you know fin finnish metal bands mm -hmm. and stuff like that i want to oh, say yeah. that like maybe avenge sevenfold are kind of the most like uh representative example just because they wore their influences on their sleeve like it was Sometimes so obvious. too much so <laughs> yeah they were like here's the metallica part here's the iron maiden part here's the guns and roses part all in one song but they like, like kind of worked they were like, Trivium, you're only going to do one tribute album. We're going to do five. <laughs> yeah. And they they were also a little song, bit. They put up that song a couple of years ago that sounds just like Sad But True. I remember. Yes. There was like that whole well, that's. That's ridiculous. See, but yeah. see, that's the thing I think is that like, like I, I'm a, I, I do consider myself probably I, I'm drawn to Trivium more than a lot of bands from that era. Mm. Um, for I'm, I'm not sure why I just am. I, I feel like they probably because they're the most Metallica <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of all those bands to the point where they did the crusade, which is basically a Metallica album. But mm -hmm. like, I never once was listening to that record. and was like, Oh, that sounds like this Metallica song. It just sounded like yeah. a new Metallica song. It's just a vibe. Yeah. Yeah. But when I heard like Avenged sevenfold and you hear, dun, 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 it's like, wait a minute. I know that song. <laughs> At that point, <laughs> that was already very late. <laughs> in the era so at, by that point it was like it had yeah gone it was far. that that yeah, was yeah because i was the, definitely the like 2010s there yeah yeah I, yeah i was definitely well into like the workforce at that point uh but i think event sevenfold as a whole kind of broke through like at the later end of that because i remember like uh in in college and stuff when i was um you know like i'd get drunk and play guitar hero and like you would have like Shadows Fall, All That Remains, Dragon Force, like all those bands on it. And then I remember going to like to the Ozfest and um, uh, all those various tours that were happening, and like Lamb of God would be on it, and this band would be on a Trivium and Machine yep. Head and all those bands. But then you would, but I don't remember hearing Event Sevenfold till after I had graduated college, and. Um, they were an underground band yeah and then i, I and i i remember hearing them kind of i probably heard them like maybe like a year or so before like they kind of like broke through and because they were like a a, a metalcore band the first album or two like screaming and and then That's they right. kind of really changed everything up um and kind of broke down the walls and then they kind of got you know into uh it was, it was a lot tribute of phase for sure it was a lot of, for me personally it was a lot of things kind of coalescing at once for one i'm glad that i don't remember which who brought up video games richard were you saying you were writing something about games or talking about games probably or was that me? And shout <laughs> out to the um the metallica monster truck battle game called like damage inc that had a yes. trailer that was never released do you know i i want to um do a whole episode at some point uh about uh like metal or music video games and i want to do a a large portion of that on like what we know about that video game that'll be like a 15 minute segment because there's not much <laughs> yeah. to talk about but yeah. no there's like some concept art and like a premise 
But I think there was a trailer yeah, or something. For, oh, I could there was a trailer for it too. I remember seeing right. the trailer and like when it because it got like leaked. I feel like years after, or I could be wrong, or maybe mm-hmm. I just discovered it years later. I don't remember, but I remember going back to it years later, anyways, and being like, you know what. It's a great thing that video game was never released. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, don't even know what you're I don't like, need like I, cyberpunk I, I Kirk Hammett driving a. <laughs> All right, I will send you. I will for I, I will try to find the trailer to and I'll put a link in the episode description yeah. for people listening. And Chris, Please I will when, when we're done recording, I will I will see if I can track it down and see, and and send it to you. It is so basically, it's like um, twisted metal. Yeah, yeah do you know what I'm picturing like a twisted metal yeah. sort of thing. But it's WWE exactly Crush Hour. Yeah, it's like twisted metal, but with like Metallica skins and like supposedly featuring Metallica band members and music. And there's concept art out for it, and it's just that is wild. It's man. bizarre. Wild. It's bizarre. That sounds. I mean, awesome, though. I mean, like I it sounds. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's on paper. There's part of it that sounds fun, but when you look at the history of music video games. Um, you're probably like, made an probably Ed Hunter. The, yeah. Or um, what was the Aerosmith one? I had an Aerosmith game for Super Nintendo. It was like, wow. Um, it it actually w- was like kind of fun. It was like one of the better ones, but it was really dumb. It, like, it's just dumb, you know? So it's like, <laughs> yeah. how dumb do you want your it's band to be? How, how like, dumb do you want your band to be? That's crazy. I'm gonna find the Aerosmith mind. one too and send it to you. Yeah, please do. The Aerosmith was the Aerosmith one was one that I physically owned. In fact, my Super Nintendo doesn't work, but I think I still have it in my closet. And if I do, I definitely still have like that the physical copy of that game. I will take a, I will look and take a picture of it and send it to you. If we ever Hell meet yeah. up, if I come to visit you, we're playing we're playing that game because I want to play. It. <laughs> we I, I need a I just I'm missing like a cable. I'm gonna find a cable online. I'm going to hook it up to my beautiful 4K television. <laughs> it's gonna look so bad with Thanks, all sis. the pixels. Yeah, and um, oh, that'd be so fun. It's gonna be glorious. But yeah, I've got to look for that yeah. game. I'm gonna send you the trail. Yeah, these are all things that exist. Absolutely, but so Sweet. where I was going was well, well we you weren't we're going to the Aerosmith <laughs> video game. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna all come back around. No, uh, what was big for me at the time was I was playing a lot of games and I wanted like heavy music. You know, I was super edgy and playing like Call of Duty and shooters and stuff, but I wanted uh. heavy music to accent. You know what I was listening to? I was like, I you bring up Avenged Sevenfold. That that Avenged Sevenfold, the self-titled record, was huge for me. It was like yeah. really, really big. I played a lot. Album, yeah. I, I listened to that record all the time, and because it's it, it is like a Metallica record. It's so melodic and hooky, but it's like you know, it's got the heaviness to it. It's like the Black Album, where it's like a, one of those records that I think people remember as being like really being a perfect marriage of melody and and mm. heaviness, at least for their kind of heaviness, at least in that kind of world. Right, but, and some experimentation, uh, like was, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I was. I was discovering a lot of music. Do you guys remember iMixes, like on iTunes? Like it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of the precursor mm. to um, Spotify playlists, and people can make a, spl- a playlist on Spotify, and other people can find it. It was right. kind of the precursor of that. Like literally, you could go on iTunes and click in like gaming playlist or like hard hard rock game playlist, and like it would have like a list of like Godsmack, and Avenged Sevenfold, and Three Days Grace, and Trivium, and Killswitch Engage, and 
all those bands, like everything we just mentioned, all in one, like basically the 2000s from 2000 to 2010, mm. all in one package. And that was great because like you could download the whole thing, like you could just buy it, all those songs that people compiled. And that was really instrumental. Like I'm sure that like I discovered a lot more Metallica songs through those playlists. And that goes right into what we were saying. Those were meshed in with all those bands from the mid 2000s, the new wave of American yeah. heavy metal bands and the new metal bands and the Avenged Sevenfolds yeah. and all of them were kind of put together and it was great. Like, I don't remember ever thinking this feels out of place and this doesn't belong with this. It all felt like it, it just felt like it yeah. belonged together to me. I've got a question for both of you, which is uh, in 2008, like when you were anticipating the release of Death Magnetic and when it came out, um, what were you listening to at the time? Because for me, it was like, yes, there was metal. There was like Dream Theater, Nightwish, Machine Head's The Blackening, like really colored my perception of Death Magnetic, actually. Because I thought The Blackening, like, kind of already did everything there was to do at the time. Mm-hmm. But there was also like My Chemical Romance. I was listening to like Radiohead and getting into pop music. So the way I saw Metallica, like, really had changed between 03 and 08 personally i think it's interesting for me i think in 2008 i feel like i was sort of in a transition period where like a lot of the bands i had mentioned before like like in influence was like sort of on the downward spiral for me um at that point but i started finding other bands like uh protest the hero i think was around that time yeah um who's a band that mm. i've really gotten into uh trivium so i think amon marth around that time that was sort of like a transition period where i was not i feel like i was not discovering like an abundance of new music around that time i i feel like i was just sort of like maintaining <laughs> were you yeah. like exposed to or listening to like european metal at the time um not nearly as much as I was in high school and in like now. So it's sure. it's weird. Like I feel like when when you're in high school and you have your circle of friends into the same stuff, and so you're always trying to like be like, hey, I went to the record store and bought this album. You got to check it out. Oh, I read about this band or this that, and you just kind of exchange albums. Or you're driving. You're in high school, like. We, I would just spend Friday nights driving around with my friends listening to music, you know? Nice. And yeah. so you, I would get exposed to all this new music, and I was lucky enough to have, like, two record stores in town. We could go to both of them and just, like, search through albums and look for cool album covers and buy something new and see what it's like. And I feel like I was, like, kind of, like, the last generation to experience that. Exactly, because I actually had the opposite experience because I didn't really have friends in high school who listened to metal. Um so mine was like completely internet driven around these little like forums and communities where, yeah, yeah. we just discuss metal and try to like one up each other with um, the most obscure black metal or whatever, which I didn't really get into at the time. <laughs> but I also remember my, I had a memory of um, these two guys walked up to me in high school and they're like, hey, I heard you like death metal. I'm like, yeah, I like melodic death metal. And we became friends <laughs> through that. So that was like at first in real life <laughs> so then i feel like that i spent years just sort of like maintaining i think it was more to do with like where i was in life like you know i graduated college i got my first like career job and 
I'm like, you know, just kind of plugging away and I'm checking out things here or there, but it's, you know, I don't, I don't have like as much of a, I felt like even though I was working full time, I didn't have as much of a disposable income as I did. I was just starting out working and, you know, just kind of like trying to find your way career wise, financially. And, uh, you know, I had my girlfriend and who's now my wife. And so you're just kind of like experiencing and living life. And now I feel like I'm at a point now where even though I got all those things going on, so and more so with like marriage and kids and all that stuff, I'm at a point now where I can, um, because of the, the technology we have with like streaming services, it's so much easier in YouTube and it's so much easier for me to discover new bands now. And like if I have a couple really good, a couple of my best friends who, uh, including Greg from the Crossbay podcast, who like Hi, we're Greg. both on, <laughs> we're both on, uh, you know, we both subscribe to Apple Music. I can just text him a song. He can just text me an album like, hey, I've been listening to this lately. And then I can listen to it on my phone on my way to work. So it's just like the convenience and the technology allows me to be able to discover all these new bands again. So like in just in like the last five years, I probably have discovered so many new like cool bands from Europe and just, you know, these obscure little like atmospheric black metal bands from Norway and just whatever. Um, but there was definitely like that stretch of time where I wasn't really like discovering much new music. And I think Death Banetta kind of came out during that time. Um, I do remember, um, though, checking out Chinese Democracy around that same time. Yeah. Wow. Shout out yeah. to Chinese Democracy. <laughs> yeah. And that's an album uh, that had like an even weirder uh, anticipation than Death Magnetic for sure. Oh, a whole for different kind of uh, anticipation. And then you yeah, could for only fulfill that anticipation by going to your local Best Buy because it was a Best Buy exclusive. <laughs> and that was, was it that really? was, oh man, that yeah. was the number one thing. I hated bands that, that when bands did that, like to have a store exclusive, I always hated it. Like, that's right. That was a big deal back then. I remember you could that only buy the new ACDC for- exclusively at Walmart. And it's like, dumb, dumb. I and I <laughs> we did not have that in Australia. <laughs> we no, oh th- is for, that an American thing? I guess yeah, so. I would say be. so. For me, you know, you know, around this time, I'm just think I'm thinking, you know, I'm remembering that that was definitely around that time those store exclusives, and I can remember. For me, this kind of makes sense in terms of kind of more logistic thing. I was listening to a lot of I was getting really into kind of like progressive rock either prog- yeah, classic progressive rock bands like genesis or yes and stuff but i was also really into porcupine tree like porcupine tree yeah. was like huge for me in high school because i think right it was one of those bands that i i discovered on my own and nobody in my high school knew who they were like i questioned like everybody i was that guy who was like have you heard of this band have you heard of this band have you heard of this band <laughs> and nobody had heard of them so it, they were special to me because they were kind of like oh this is my band and nobody knows about them but that kind of progressive music that i was listening to kind of lent itself to when death magnetic came out because there's a lot of long songs on that record i, I was like i don't mind this like i like i was really liking songs that kind of um you know transition from time signatures or you know it, the instrumentation was experimental or you know I, like something like suicide and redemption probably I, even though I, I don't think i listened to it then it probably wouldn't have bothered me at the time because i was kind of already into long you know 15 minute or 11 minute 
you know, progressive songs. So, I mean, a, a, a metal record that has, you know, most of the songs are seven minutes plus, you know, that's not really something that would have bothered me. And I think that's, you know, it lent, it lent to my enjoyment of songs like All Nightmare Long, which I did hear, or Cyanide, which is shorter, but it's still like over six minutes long. So that was something I was like, okay, like I can get behind this. Like I'm digging this because I'm already kind of in that, in that feet and that vibe. I'm already liking that kind of stuff. When you get into certain types of metal, time no longer becomes an issue. Yeah. Just, just last <laughs> week, just last week I was uh, listening to an album that Greg sent me and I was like, I, you know, I, I, I'm where I'm at now in my life is like, it's hard for me to like sit down and listen to an album from start to finish. I wish I could do that. It's just like time wise with everything going on in life. So like uh, you listen to like an album on the go or you listen to something in the background or you listen to like a couple songs here, a couple songs there and you kind of have like piecemeal together. So I was like made my way through the whole album except the last song. And I looked at it, it was 15 minutes long. So I text him like, like digging the album. Um, we'll check out the 15 minute song later. <laughs> so time has no issue when you are, uh, when you're a metal fan, I, I feel like. <laughs> That's a great story. I love that. That's really awesome. Oh, like, um, the fantastic album Mirror Reaper by Bell Witch, which is just one 80 minute song. Oh my God. <laughs> it's yes. Incredible. There was, um, uh, the band Panopticon. I hope I'm pronouncing yeah. it correctly, right? Um, they just did an EP, um, well, last year now, 2020. Um, it, it, the whole EP was just one song, but it was a 20-minute song. <laughs> it was great, Love too. It. I mean, it, when I say 20-minute song, I mean, like, you get, like, you know, four songs kind of, like, arranged as one 20-minute track, but with recurring, you know, it, it, it it's it's not like you just have one riff for 20 minutes, but yeah that would be what i also what i also remember about (laughs) oh i i that's why i clarify because i know those songs are out there swans to see what i also remember what i also remember about death magnetic was i remember listening to cyanide i keep saying that song because that was like the that was the you know besides the day that never comes that was like the other big single that i really remember being played all the time especially on on rock radio um i remember thinking like okay like i've heard master of puppets I've heard Enter Sandman, and I've heard Fade to Black. I remember thinking, like, okay, this is more in line of, like, what I remember, you know, because I had heard, again, those snippets from St. Anger. I was like, okay, this this is more in line with what I remember Metallica sounding like. This sounds more like the band that I've heard the songs by. This sounds kind of more like what I envisioned they would always have sounded like, apparently, yeah. except for that album. So I, just, I definitely remember having that thought, like, okay, this, I don't, you know, I, I wasn't as involved in the Metallica world, so I couldn't have, I couldn't I can't sit here and tell you that I was like, Oh, it's a return to form because I wasn't really thinking that because I wasn't as entrenched as you guys were maybe in the world, especially you, Brandon, who had followed it all the way. But I definitely remember thinking, Okay, this is more in line with what I had heard. This sounds more kind of like the stuff I'd heard before. So this is something else I was thinking of earlier today. I see that um as you said, a a return to form, but not necessarily for I, I musically yes i guess it's a return to form in the sense of like the style of music um but i think it's also a return to form in terms of like the band's branding the band's yeah. um positioning of themselves um their confidence their um their momentum like i feel like that was like their stake in the ground like we are 
back. We lived through, we survived grunge. We lived through the nineties. We, we did say in anger and now we are back. We are the Kings of metal. Um, I know man of war likes to say they are, but we are the Kings of metal. And, uh, you know, this, and we're gonna, we're not only going to carry the, we're not only picking up the flag and going to carry the flag, but we're going to lead the charge again. And that's the thing, because, yeah, in 2008, it's like we all knew they weren't the heaviest band. They weren't the fastest or the shreddiest band. But they were fucking Metallica, and they were the most Metallica band. I yeah. I, I preferred The Blackening to Death Magnetic, and probably still do, but that doesn't discount Metallica at all, you know? Like, right. one couldn't exist without... Machine Head couldn't exist without Metallica. All the bands we loved then couldn't have existed without Puppets right. or even the Black Album. It right. was really going back for me. It was going back later on, you know, in those later years, in the past couple of years, listening to Death Magnetic again, that, you know, kind of like St. Anger, you, re- you realize the potency that that album had that I think it, I think it even got overlooked again. Like, I think, I think for all, you know, those are, I think your sentiments are true. But I think even at that time, I think a, a lot of stuff was, you know, in the, from the from the fans. I think a lot of stuff was overlooked that people are kind of rediscovering now. You know, again, because of a lot of the loudness war stuff that was going on with that record, and a lot of the, you know, the the again, the drum sound still wasn't quite perfect. It was pretty thuddy, and people didn't like a lot of the way that was mixed. But I think beyond that, if you kind of examine like the musical elements that make up that album, it's real. It's great. Like I like that album. I like that album. It's, and it's not even close. I don't think it's close. I like that album a lot more than Hardwired. And I think it's interesting because of me going back and and picking out stuff that I had never really heard before and listening to, really listening closer to um, and my apocalypse or listening close even the even the B sides, like even listening to like the, the Beyond Magnetic stuff. Like I love Just a Bullet Away. Like that's that's an amazing song. Like I love that song. I almost like that song again more than anything off of um uh, hardwired but is i don't know if that's just me but that's just something that i found going back it's just you time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no i i i i i personally i think that uh if death magnetic was their return to form hardwired or self-destruct is their best in um i think their best and most consistent album um in quite some time and i love everything about it from the um I, I, the production of it is, I, it's arguably, I think their best produced album ever, um, in terms of the tones that they get. Um, I mean, I, I hesitate to put it past like something like the Black Album because that's such a masterpiece, obviously, for so many reasons. But, um, I, I just love how that album sounds. It sounds like modern and heavy, but there's a warmth to it. Um, the everything just seems to, like breathe. Like you hear the and it's very it's a it's a very dynamic record for um which i think is kind of ironic because i don't think it's their most dynamic set of songs but it's a very dynamic sounding record um which i think was is the polar opposite of what like death magnetic was right where and even like saint anger which is not very dynamic they're both very just like um you know the St. Anger was not dynamic because of what the songs were. And Death Magnetic had that production that just was like made everything 
pushed everything into the red you know so it's just like it it just for me hardwired just breathes i th- i like the i think the songs are fantastic and i'm not saying that to diminish definitely because i i like that album a lot too um i just and i think definitely was needed in order to get to hardwired for sure okay yeah no, that's that's it's interesting to hear that that perspective because we're kind of on opposite ends of that but i definitely understand what you're saying for sure like i I, I hear that especially in a lot of like the slower songs on on um on hardwired like i love man unkind that's like probably my favorite song off the record that's a really weird choice but like i i again it, it goes back to my my love of those 90s records the load reloads the saint anger stuff like i love kind of when metallica in the black album too when metallica takes the tempo down um, well i and, think that's what and, uh, works so well about that album is that to me um you know they I, what I love about Metallica is that they're willing to try new things. But what I love about Hardwired is that they didn't really try anything new. They just took what they do well and meshed it all together. Yeah. Like they they took, you know, there's the thrash elements. There's the heavy groove. There's the melody. There's the harmonies, the solos. the uh, You can hear elements I think of I I hear some songs and I hear Injustice for All I hear some songs I hear Kill 'Em All I hear some songs I hear Load I hear Reload I hear the Black Album I, like I hear everything that they've done up to that point in that one album. Yeah, exactly. I I, I love a, a lot of the what I'm let me let me let me phrase this correctly here. When, what I like about the a lot about Death Magnetic is when it's going, it, you know, it's a fast record. It's a pretty blistering record, but they're doing it like I'm listening to the musicianship on that record. And it's so, I just love the way that they, they constructed those songs and they are fast and they are pulse pounding, but they're done so well. Like, I know I love the slower stuff, like I mentioned, but it's done so well, the fast stuff on it's so it's done so well on death magnetic that it just like, it kind of won me over because I don't know. It had a it had a quality to it that just it, it just was. It sounded. It it's hard to articulate. It's just something that I kind of feel hearing the speed on that record. Just for sure. it's just the specific chemistry because again, you know, Metallica didn't really play thrash metal from what nineteen eighty nine to like two thousand and seven. Like if you discount Senenga, and in that entire time, nineteen eighty four to in that entire time, they influenced so many bands, but no one could play quite like them. So that's, I think that's the appeal of Magnetic, you know, to get that sound and welcome them back with open arms. Yeah, I mean that's the appeal of the band in general. Like, there's better musicians out there, but a band works because. A band that works works because all their parts work well together. Like, yeah. you know, Kirk Hammett could have stayed in Exodus and they would have written some cool songs and they, I'm sure they would have had, at the very least, as much success as Exodus has had so far and they've had a great career, but he would have never gotten into Metallica level with that band on his own. Um, you know, they, uh, you know, I, and, and I think even the same could be said for Lars and James. They need each other. Lars needs to be there to do the business and kind of like arrange all the ideas with James. But James is the riff master. You know, he needs to be there to kind of 
lead the creative charge, so to speak. So like they all, they're all necessary to work there. When you look at the different bases, they've all been the perfect choice for that time period. I feel like where in both their playing, their personalities, like it's been what the band needed at that moment. And I, and, yeah. I, and I just, and I think that's the magic of the band and why, like, no matter, like, no matter what, as we were talking, I was thinking about like the next Metallica album, right? Like, what I love about Metallica is that I know the next Metallica album is going to sound like Metallica, but I have no clue what that sounds like. Totally. That's true. I agree. I, I've re- I'm really excited because I can't wait to see, you know, either lyrically, you know, how they're influenced by everything that's happened and, you know, with especially James's experiences that he's gone through going to rehab and then pretty much going right into, a, you know, one of the craziest years and, you know, having all their time to isolate and spend with their families and, you know, all the, especially all the acoustic stuff that they've been doing, like the, the drive-in concert and the, yeah. you know, the Black in 2020, you know, I, you're right. I, it's, it's exciting because you really never have any idea what they're going to do next and, you know, where they're going to go and how they're going to, mi- what elements they're going to choose to mix, what things they're going to choose to pull, where they're going to look to, especially in this day and age, I really have no idea, you know, where they're going to be looking to because the, the landscape of heavy music you know, has changed so much. I think that's another thing that you can even connect to what we're talking about in the 2000s. Like, at least until, if I, I can market, at least until 2010, 2011, I would say that was when, right at the end of the 2010s, from the 2000s, or excuse me, the end of the 2000s, there was a marked change. Like, heavy music really, it fell fast. Like, it, it yeah. went out of public consciousness real fast. Like, you know, my my heavy my hard rock station transitioned. It seemed like almost overnight from Lincoln Park and Three Days Grace and Breaking Benjamin to Group Love and huh. Mumford and Sons and you know a lot of that. Like it, it, it felt very immediate in like the 2012 2013 years. Right after the the 2000s ended, it changed. And you know now it's the landscape. You know, heavy music was still pretty prevalent. I would say from very prevalent, obviously in the early 2000s, but still pretty prevalent in the mid to late 2000s after death magnetic in those couple of years and you know i don't know now you know even from when hardwired was released i'm not sure you know the, the landscape is so different you know who knows where they're going to pull from or look to or you know they'll pull from their own stuff for sure but you know i it's i'm curious i'm just very uh, intrigued and i don't think whatever they pull from is going to be from if they pull from new influences, I don't see too much of that being metal, to be honest with you. Um, maybe it will be, but I, I, I think there's, I think there's a lot of rock and hard rock out there that maybe they're checking up. I don't know how much like, m- like pure unadulterated metal they're listening to these days that are new. You know, I know there's some obviously, but. I, I think their their taste is so varied now as they've gotten older and stuff that they I don't know, that's I think that's like the fascinating thing about it, right? Is that they can pull from all their old stuff and all their old influences, but now they have all this new influence and just the way the music industry has changed, but they've managed to be a part of it still, you know? Like Yeah, I wonder I wonder how much, you know, I, I, I never know how much of this stuff makes it into like what they're writing, but I always wonder, you know, how much of the songs that you see them cover, you know, how much do you think that that kind of 
says about the music they're listening to. Like when when they covered House of the Rising Sun, you know, on their uh, their drive-in concert, or like when they they've covered One of Blind Man Cries, and you know, all those songs that they've covered over the past couple of years. You know, I wonder what what that says about where their head is at, and you know, even even they're kind of they're they're moving towards they really have been doing a lot of acoustic stuff lately which has been really cool to see and the retooling of black mm-hmm. and they're all within my hands you know i wonder how much that says about you know if, if at all i could be totally off base and dead wrong but i wonder if that speaks to either you know how they're thinking you know the, what's going on internally in the way that they want to be writing hmm. i know that um I feel like Lars is maybe the one of them with the broadest ears because obviously, you know, he has his Apple Music show where he's still playing Diamond Head and Deep Purple, but he's also, you know, in Rolling Stone interviewing indie rock, uh, burgeoning icon Phoebe Bridges. So that's right. Kirk Hammett too has a very broad. Yeah. uh, Less in a pop sense, but probably jazz and classical. Yeah. And. And I think, uh, and Rob is very varied with like, you know, probably more like on the, maybe like the funk hip hop side funk, of things, yeah, totally. jazz and the suicidal um, tendencies, uh, you know, the, the, that legacy that he kind of brings with him, the kind of funk metal, funk rock kind of, kind of thing. And, but yeah, I remember, um, uh, I totally lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? Suicidal <laughs> talking tendencies. About no, oh, I remember, Music. I remember, um, <laughs> yeah, I remember. Uh, I think I, I recalled reading, I don't remember whether it was the, the Stefan Shirazi uh, interviews they did um, or a, one of the other interviews that's kind of come out over the past year. But I think that I remember Lars had said this is going to be a more collaborative record as opposed to um, Hardwired, where you know, mm. it was very primarily Lars and James focused. And I think that they were saying, okay, we're going to let kind of everybody back in to kind of you know put their influence and plug in some ideas for this. So that could, I mean that could be, play a huge role in how it sounds. And like you t- mm. talking about everybody's different influences, that's a big, fa- that would be a bigger factor than I would think. But also too, how are they going to take those influences and quote metallicize it all, right? Because it's like when you hear like the day that never comes, like that whole like guitar lick does, like all that came from like a flamenco guitar thing that Robert was doing, but they make it Metallica, you know? So it's, it really can go in so many directions. I I'm really interested in, you know, if they do something more acoustic based, um, cause they've been doing so much of it in, recently, but also that's just sort of like the easiest thing to do when you're in lockdown and you're all in different locations. So I don't know how much like to read into it, even though I've enjoyed it all. But I, one question I keep, like keeps coming to my head as we're talking is, you know, here we are, 2021 just started we're speculating about the next metallica album we've chronicled over the last almost two hours now of how like metallica's journey from like 2000 to today and this and we're looking at now the let's see the fourth decade yeah of them as a band and there's still this podcast and other podcasts and music journalists and fans and everybody wants to know what's next from this band four decades in what 
is it about Metallica that, you know, makes them transcend? Like they with the black album, they transcend genre. I can't hear you guys anymore. Hang on. You can you I hear me? Can't now? hear me. Fix this. Hang on. I might have to rejoin here. Hopefully, Richard, I won't screw this everything is... up. Oh no! I blew it. Richard, this is uh. Let's see. What he doesn't know, Richard, is that I kicked him out. <laughs> you won. <laughs> and he won't hear any of this until he listens back to the episode. But yeah, he's he's officially out. <laughs> he just left. I just kicked him out. He's gonna try a rejoin. <laughs> I like how you're in another country. Yeah. And you have better connection than <laughs> like we do now. And it, yeah. Yeah, it took us a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully he rejoins us. We can always. What the question is: Will I edit this or will I not? I don't know. Oh, uh oh, he's back. He's back. Should I let him back in? Sure. Should I let him back in? I I definitely. If oh, I, hey, if Chris. I, we weren't I, talking I, shit hey. about you at all. <laughs> I have ruined any good standing I've ever had with this show for the rest for the rest of eternity. And it was right in the middle of your glorious speech where you're like, "We're in 2021 and we're speculating." Well, and I was like, if, <laughs> "Listen, everybody likes to think 2021 is going to be a fresh start." As we experience in America today, that's not the case. And uh, as we experience it during this recording, this is still the same mediocre podcast <laughs> <laughs> and actually i just saw a news article float across my twitter which is that hundreds of students in turkey are protesting the government to the soundtrack of metallica so there you go oh, there you go that's awesome still relevant starting a revolution but i think what i was saying was that i was having like a um you know a landmark moment there and chris ruined it <laughs> and, um but that's okay. Uh, I'll get I'll get back on my pedestal and I'll and I'll continue my lecture. We're going in four decades now, and they're still the biggest metal band in the world. One of one of the biggest bands, period, in the world. They are um, still relevant. People still like us care about what they do next. They have survived thrash metal, hair metal, grunge, uh, new metal, uh, boy bands hip-hop like the rise of hip-hop gangster rap like all these things that have come and either stayed or gone um the new wave of american heavy metal um just everything that has happened in music and in popular culture what is it about this band that makes them stay on top it makes people give a shit i don't i can't it's hard to think of another band that four decades in it remains relevant in terms of like new material. They're very few and far between. I feel like, um, obviously they're out there, but they're not the only ones, but it's a, it's a, it's an elite group now that they're in, you know, we're talking like, you know, Bruce Springsteen and, um, kind of like that upper level. I mean, even if like, I, I, I listen, I'm not discrediting like Paul McCartney and the Rolling Stones and I know people care, but like if they released a new album, it could it might hit it could easily miss but like i don't see the next metallica album missing in terms of yeah. attention no. and sales i and... think i think metallica surpassed u2 actually in relevance in the last seven or eight years which is really interesting because i would have mm -hmm. said them but no i think metallica now um 
to me it's like they are the center you know like the center of metal and they kind of always will be like them and black sabbath but um it's so many things like from the on the smallest level it's like the emotional connection everyone has with james the singer and his songwriting and you go further out and um it's the songwriting the kind of diversity of styles they incorporate and also their willingness to experiment and do acoustic shows and do snm2 and through the never and keep themselves fresh in that way and even yeah throw like a curveball at the fans every so often like lulu you know yeah it's all part I of think the it's that. tapestry yeah i think it's all that i think for sure i agree with richard on pretty much every point there and i think it's even more so you know the metallica name just the word just the the, the logo it's so recognizable it's such a mm. it's imprinted in your mind it's a part of pop culture I mean, young celebrities are wearing it. Influencers wear Metallica t-shirts. Yeah. Um, you see it everywhere. It's kind of this, uh, it's become more than a band. It's a brand in a lot of ways. Totally. It's a present brand yeah. for sure. And that plays a huge role. But I mean, beyond that, it's just undeniable. And I don't even really know what that word means when I'm in my context of saying it. But you know it when you hear it. Like you yeah. listen to the Black Album. It's just, it's, it is undeniable when you listen to that record. It will move something in you, whether it's getting you to move your head or think about James's lyrics or just the drum sound. They have whatever record they've put out. There's always an element to that record that is undeniable, that cements them as titans. You know, it's like there are other bands that do this, but nobody does it like this. Nobody does it this well, this polished, this well thought out. You know, this risky. Whatever it is, like they're always, and they've always seemed to be the right. They've been at the right place at the right time. I feel like. True. Even in the Very Saint true. Anger era, I feel like it's mm. the you know, it's the it was it, the they did the right thing for the right time. And I think they've always done that throughout their career, and it's yeah. I think the word that just keeps coming back to me, it's just undeniable. It's an undeniable band that you just have to pay attention to, not just because of the music but because again it's an omnipresent brand just as much as it is as a band but that's not a bad thing like anything that gets people to listen and anything that draws more people in that be even if it is a brand like that's only positive that's only going to get more and more people to pay attention i remember being a um you know since we're talking about our our my high school college years here uh in the 2000s in this episode i i, I remember there being a time when I had a fear as a Metallica fan where I was like, we're going to, the day's going to come and we're going to have some shitty Metallica reality show. There's going to be <laughs> where the I'm day's going to come, the Honestly? day's going to come and they're going to do their Aerosmith halftime show with, you know, Britney Spears lip singing behind them. I there's going to come the, the <laughs> there's, there's going to come a time when, you know, um, like basically i saw them on the career tra trajectory of like any big band like and I'm, I'm not saying this to knock aerosmith i mean i'm i'm an aerosmith fan hell i owned their super nintendo game but <laughs> as we found out today that didn't even exist. but but you know they they're still obviously an important band they're still a popular band but they're also you know have fallen off a big wave and they're basically resting on what they've done in the past and they're not going to sell out a stadium. And I, and I kind of saw, you know, Metallica, I feared Metallica becoming like this nostalgia act of like, all right, 
well, we're going to do our Vegas residency. We're going to, or now we're playing theaters or, but yet it's like, they just keep on, if anything, the brand keeps getting bigger and stronger. Um, and generation. I, yeah. And, 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 and maybe that's because they, like you were saying, Chris, they put so much thought into things like everything that they do is of the highest quality. Like I've never once as a Metallica fan been afraid to spend money on a Metallica ticket or a product because I'm never afraid of it being like of being disappointed or like not yeah. worth the money. I've with heard one exception. With, yeah, I've heard interviews with James and Lars where they're like, we're not going <laughs> to do something unless it's. I know what you're going to say, Richard. Yeah, we did it! <laughs> did, I, did I miss something? <laughs> no, Richard said, except with one exception. And I knew instantly he was talking about, yeah, we did it! Louder! Yeah, we did it! I like to, you know how people, you know how, like, my, uh, I say Lulu is a Lou Reed album that Metallica contributed to? Yep. Yes. I like to think that song as a Ja Rule song that Metallica had nothing to do with. <laughs> I feel like it's a song oh, that no okay. one had anything to do with. Like, uh, you know, it just like formed out of the primordial sludge. Yeah. And it just took over Ja Rule and Swiss Beats. At least. Ja Rule, ja Rule was like, I'm doing this song. I'm driving 35 on the highway <laughs> and nothing's going to stop me. My career's Never going to slow down. I, I I got an idea. I need my own music festival, festival. Yeah. on an island. We're going to do this. We're going to say that. <laughs> oh, my God. But, no, you're right. I, again, that stuff notwithstanding, I think unlike every, uh, especially, you know, in the, in the Bob Rock era going forward, like, I know every single song that they put out, like, even on Load and Reload and St. Anger, like, that's the, I know that's the best thing they, that they have, like, that is, they're like we can't do any better than this like this is the best mm. that we have and like i believe that and like that's a huge part of it like i they don't you know when at least on, on their studio albums and i would argue even state anger but that's just my own feelings toward it they don't half-ass anything and like that is that marriage of lars and, uh, and james and everybody and kirk and rob too but yeah that's that marriage like they push each other to to make sure like we're not putting it out unless it's we can't do any better like we can't make a better song so i think that speaks to what you're saying where you're like you know it's it's only grown because they don't they don't compromise they don't sacrifice you know they experiment sure lots of times but you know i think that's i think there's a difference between that and like compromising and exactly i i don't, I don't mm -hmm. think i've ever you know thought of them as, as a band that compromises in any way People mistake the two sometimes. Like the true metalheads will say that they sold that, but in reality, like I feel like the last three decades have so played out quite differently to that. You know, if they truly sold out, then we wouldn't be talking about them. I don't know how you can sell out by making um, an experimental art rock album with Lou Reed. Uh, like, I, if that's selling out. Um, then I, I I apparently have no clue what that word what that term means. So yeah, I mean that that's like the complete opposite of uh, selling. And, and also too, just because something's popular doesn't mean that you sold out. Like yeah, 
you I think people forget because of the success of the Black Album that like on Injustice for All, they were played on MTV and performing at the Grammy Awards. Right. At that point, even if you're on the underbelly of the mainstream, you're in the mainstream at that point. You you're not you don't see um you know, this year at the Grammy Awards, they're not having uh I don't know, uh, Lamb of Black Dolly Murder or Lamb yeah. of God perform, you know? Like it metal especially it's such like a like a very minor part of their overall show. So for you to be on that stage, you've crossed over you know um i but think even I, now uh, i think even now metallic is even bigger than they were back when death magnetic was out because i think definitely. i think it's so yeah. funny you asked if, if you were to question like post malone or like a lot of modern artists now i i feel like it's not uncommon to see metallica listed as an influence even if it's a completely different genre like they will list metallica oh, yeah. as an influence and they're by doing that and by wearing the shirts and like i just saw that video not long ago of that girl who was Wearing yes. Metallica shirt, and of course, of course, the the metal gatekeepers came in and said, "Oh yeah, name three Metallica songs. I bet you don't. I bet you don't even know. Uh, I bet you don't even know. Um, you know all that stuff, all that BS." And then she showed them up by playing. You know, she first she played. I think she played like Enter Sandman, and then she played the. Uh, I don't remember what she did, but they said, "Oh yeah, we'll play like Battery." And she played the she played the fucking like Battery riff like full speed, and like she played the <laughs> she played Master of Puppets like full speed, and I was like. That's awesome. Like she's that's in, the yeah. stuff that will that's the stuff that also contributes to Metallica being so enduring and so many totally. young artists, regardless of genre now, will list Metallica's influence because they're so melodically talented and so mm. you know, song first, melody first focused. I mean obviously riff focused as well, but there's obviously there's melody in the riff, but it's again, it's that undeniable quality. They just have that perfect combination of non-compromising perfection of songwriting and and that brand it's all of that coalescing together that i think it's going to ensure them like they'll ne- they're never gonna i think your fears that you had younger brandon spears are never going to come to pass because i think mm, that they'll no. always kind of just be this revered figure with both young right. people and in the older generation well and and that was my point in mentioning that was that i have none of those fears now because i've seen how they are aging and like I said before, they're now in the upper level of the stratosphere with the true legends of the business. Like when you're talking about the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, uh, you know, Queen, Fleetwood Mac, Queen, yeah, Fleetwood Mac, Bruce Springsteen, yeah. um, like Metallica is one of those bands now. Oh yeah. Mm. Um, and and I would put them above most of those artists, most of those artists that we just named, as well as many more. And you know, th- like when you look at all the other popular metal bands out there, let's look at like Black Sabbath, uh, Ozzy Solo, Iron Maiden. None of them, despite everybody knows Ozzy Osbourne, right? Right. More people know the name Ozzy Osbourne than James Hetfield. Yeah. But more people know the name Metallica yeah. than Ozzy Osbourne. You know, I could tell and... you, I worked, I worked at a record store. I worked at a record store uh, when when um, Hardwired was released. I can honestly say I have never worked a day, a record release day, where more copies of the record flew off the shelves 
in every format, CD and vinyl, than than when Hardwired released. I worked a couple record release, a bunch of record releases at this record store. That was the busiest release and the most and the one where we were running out of stock and like I think we even ran out of like copies because it was so big and it was so prevalent and like I was my, my I couldn't believe it. But that speaks to like what exactly well, what you're saying. And that's something too that. Like when you look at all the Metallica collectors out there, and those are the people I feel like buying it in every format and who, you know, wait in line for like the record store day exclusive stuff and everything. It's obviously just general fans sometimes, but a lot of times it's the collectors. And if you are, uh, it when you when you're at a point where you have a large community of people collecting your things, you're in my opinion like in a different stratosphere like nobody's collect nobody's a limp biscuit collector i don't think anybody <laughs> i'm gonna start even, though let's after let's, you said that let's let's uh let's even go like let's go like more legitimate like do you know anybody and and i know the people i know there's out there but there's not a large community of i'm willing to bet there's not a large community of like guns and roses collectors out there yeah I'd yeah agree. that's true i know there's a lot of like kiss there's like kiss people there's like the Kiss collectors and stuff, but yeah, I guess you're right with the Guns N' Roses stuff. But people collect like the Beatles. People Kiss, collect Star Wars, Kiss, Star Wars, like yeah. Coca-Cola, uh, like mammoth brands, you know. And now, uh, and if we're if we want to talk even more about uh, Beyond Music, you know, so but Metallica now is one of those brands, and they're definitely one of those bands. Like, like people collect the Grateful Dead. Oh yeah. People yeah, collect, the, the uh, you know, posters, I put Pearl Jam you know, in that, in that world, like too. Two different posters every show. So, I mean, that gives some yeah. people something to collect. But people are, and they go up in value. Like, people want those things. Those are those are commodities, for sure. Yeah. Right. It's like Pokemon. you got to catch them all. Hey, look at that. <laughs> I, I just pulled out my old Game Boy Pokemon <laughs> pouch, which I used to seal my phone in. Is that a color? Is that, is that an OG Game Boy, or is that a color? It's, um, it's a pouch. And it used to be for my Game Boy Color, but now I put my phone in it. Did you have the trans? Did you have the translucent one, or what color did you have? Yeah, the clear translucent Game Boy Color. You had that? I had that too. Woo. That was the best one. I have the OG Game Boy. Oh yeah. And Rick. it still works. Did you did you did you play did you play red or blue Pokemon red or blue? Tetris. Oh Tetris, Tetris. Me? Yeah. I Pokemon was. Out when it, I was too old. I'm too old for Pokemon. I played, as Richard said, I played Tetris. Yeah. Tetris, Super Mario Land, because it didn't have. Super Mario World was for the big consoles like Super Nintendo. Mm. But Super Mario Land came to Game Boy. Yeah, that was. That's my jam. This Pokemon stuff is. <laughs> no, I was, I'm probably like. I think I was like five years too late on like the rise of pokemon i was the right age i played blue you were you were, you were a blue guy okay yeah you okay. you were a red guy weren't you this is your final test yeah. Chris. i get I, I i was i was a, i mean like how can you not pick the box with the dragon on it chris has a point this chris you just completely redeemed yourself yes you got a yes richard 
Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Off to Megadeth podcast land. What you should have said was off to Never Never Land. Never Land. Yeah. Come on now. You're you're getting a little rusty on these Metallica puns. You missed some kind of monster documentary too before. And are you madly in anger with me? Yes. I think so. I think so. When I'm done with this uh, recording. I'm definitely going to just set my anger free. Set it free! I'm just gonna um, go kill, 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 kill. kill. <laughs> I'm gonna go flush it out. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, guys, please tell everybody where they can find you. I'm at rsh underscore e l l e on Twitter and Richard S T everywhere else. I am uh, at risk with a K. That's R I S K W I T H A capital K on Twitter. Risk with a K. And I'm Chris Helix uh, pretty much everywhere else, I think. I'm also risk with a K on Instagram. Um, so, but that's, that's pretty much it. And look for my, uh, and uh, just type my name in if anybody wants to check out some of my stuff for distorted sound or for noisy. I would greatly Do appreciate it. it. Do it do it can i offer one more thought which is uh i guess it's more of a megadeth thought but i think a lot about you know it's very obvious which metal bands are like most influenced by slayer or by anthrax or you know most of them like by metallica as their main influence but right how many bands cite or really are like mainly influenced by megadeth because i was thinking children of bodom actually because they had that style where you have a lead vocalist and guitarist who is the one consistent member and is a shredder. And a lot of their songs sound like them, you know, just throwing out like riff mm-hmm. after riff after riff. It's like more guitar driven than vocal driven. So that's my that's thought. That's a good point. Yeah, I never I never would have connected those dots. But now that you're saying that, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. I can see that. I definitely picture the more like shred oriented bands to be more influenced by Megadeth out of anybody in the big four. Yeah. But when you combine the melody and just sort of like the band setup, I definitely see Children of Bodom. I would yeah. see a lot of the I would see a lot of the power metal bands, you know, True. a lot of especially bands like Dragon Force and stuff yeah. like that. I, I would Guardian. see a lot of that kind of pulling into yeah. like Marty Friedman, Marty Friedman's guitar work and Dave's guitar work. But yeah, that's a good question. But beyond that, like it's hard for me to kind of like really pinpoint. I would say. Yeah, like Nevermore are one I've been listening to a lot lately as well, and they're just like in the bottom end. I think one way um, Megadeth has been very influential in the metal world that kind of gets lost because of some of the uh, like more recent political rants of Dave Mustaine, perhaps, uh, is they were one of the few, like, I feel like they were one of the early metal bands to really like be political and to um, kind of bring that voice into the genre. Um, You know, like, and now you have obviously a lot more out there, but I think you got to trace it back to like peace cells. Peace cells. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I was going to say peace cells before and justice for all, which was the, the the really big political Metallica record. So yeah. Megadeth was kind of, you're right. was kind of on that train a little bit before. Um, You might say the reckoning train. Hey, guys, hey. these are these are softballs here. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. 
the train of consequences. Yeah, do you want you and I, Brandon? I think were you in my conversation on Twitter about euthanasia? Were you talking with me about you and I were talking about that record? It sounds we? familiar because I've definitely have had a few conversations about euthanasia. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a very underrated album. Underrated yeah. record for Good sure. Album. Really underrated record. Dave sounds great. That's the that's the record where he sounds the best. Like his voice sounds very listenable on that record like i think he really sure. focused on his singing and the, the songs on that record are really good too like everybody listen to euthanasia underrated record for sure better album than countdown to extinction i agree which always gets the hot, maybe a hot attention. take but i don't care i agree which always gets the attention but euthanasia is a better album from start to finish i agree i agree any final thoughts or hot takes before we wrap up boys and 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 I'm glad you mentioned Children of Bodom. I know we mentioned it a couple times, but mm. like I said, they were an important band to me during that time. They had a couple albums that like my friends and I were really interested in. And it was um it was surprising news to learn this week, uh, when I woke up and uh heard that Alexi had passed. So Yeah. I uh yeah, it was sad. I, I saw them at on Mayhem Festival twenty thirteen and they were a blast. They were they were mm, they were a yeah. load of fun to see. And he had so much energy. It's really sad. I feel bad for him, especially because they said he was dealing with a lot of health issues towards the end. And that's mm. very sad. So uh, best wishes to uh, his family, for sure. Absolutely. Here's a tour I was fortunate enough to see that will sum up this whole episode. It was In Flames, Children of Bodom, and Trivium. There you go. Perfect encapsulation of the 2000s. Right there. Yep. And it was a great show. Huge thank you to Richard and Chris for both coming on Metallicast. This was a great conversation. I think I had a lot of fun speaking to them, as I always do. What a way to start 2021. Metallicast from here on out will be new episodes every week. So make sure you are subscribed. Make sure you are downloading each episode. If you can leave a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts, all that goes a long way into helping Metallicast continue to grow and support Richard and Chris after you support the podcast. Only after, not before. All right, you can do it. You can support them before. I I will allow it. Uh, but follow the links in the episode description to their social media. Give them a follow. Uh, check out their work. Google them. Or check out the links in the episode description um, for Chris. That would be Distorted Sound as well as Noisy I included a link to the famous St. Anger article that I mentioned way too often by Mr. Richard S.E. Please give Metallicast follow on social media as well at Metallicast Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen, middle up your ass. Yeah! Fabs not experts.